This episode has been brought to you by Gorilla Strength. Gorilla Strength equipment is made right here in Kentucky, and it can be customized for whatever it is that you need. Dave and Pam are always there to make sure that you have all the right equipment for any contest you have coming up. They do custom work. They do premium work. They do anything that you need. If you're looking for some new equipment for your home gym, for your corporate gym, or just to be able to take around with you anywhere, from chain collars to full racks and everything in between, contact David at Gorilla Strength. All right, everybody. This week we are sitting down with my very own local sheriff, Shane Doyle, and we're going to get a little bit of a background on where Shane comes from, Edmondson County, and kind of what what we're dealing with um, in local police. So, Shane, where are you from? I'm right here, right here in Edmondson County. Uh, good afternoon, Dave. Appreciate you having me on here with you, buddy. Um, but yeah, born and raised here, lived here my entire life. Your whole, you've never even lived outside of the county? I've never lived outside of this county. I've lived within actually a, a two-mile radius my entire life. Within a two-mile radius? Yes. That's... That's crazy, cause yeah, I mean, I personally, I've lived everywhere from Korea to Kyrgyzstan to you know Washington State to Washington the city, which I never recommend going. Don't even visit that place if you get a chance. Pass on that real quick. Um, so growing up here in Edmondson County, how do you think that your values and your morals are different than somebody who's from? You know, one of the, we'll call them the blue states, you know, California, New York, Florida. How are you different than they are? Well, I'm a firm believer that you're a product of what you're around. So <clears throat> because I've lived here my entire life um, and my family also all lives very, very close for the most part. Uh, uh, my little brother is the only one that ever really moved away. And he, uh, he went all the way down to uh, McKenzie, Tennessee. That's how far away he decided to go. So like wow. three whole hours away. Uh, the rest of us live within, you know, a 20-mile radius of each other, and there's 50 people that I'm talking about, aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, so that's what I've been around my entire life. Now, I say that I I'm, I'm, would not consider myself to be a sheltered person. Uh, I've traveled a lot. I've been in a lot of different places. I've been to other countries. I've traveled all over the United States, and, and I love to travel. I love to see other things, and I love to expose myself to other cultures, to other ideas. So I'm not a closed-minded person by any stretch of the imagination, but my heart always comes back to this place. And I think it's because of the way that I was raised. My father was a Baptist minister, still is, um, you know, raised to go to church every time the doors were open. Um, I've raised my children the same way. And, uh, you know, basically hard work, uh, love of family, love of the Lord, those are the things that were instilled in me. And so... You know, I'm I'm very deeply conservative, and I'm I'm very happy to live in a red state. So when you say deeply conservative, a lot of a lot of folks out there they seem to think that if you're anything other than super liberal and antifa, then you're basically Hitler just walking around um, talking about being a superior race. So what does it mean to you to be a conservative? Uh, to me, being a conservative. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with, with telling anybody else what they should do. Um, to me, that's the biggest difference between conservatives and liberals. Is a conservative says, this is what I believe, 
and this is how I'm going to live my life. And a liberal says, this is what you should believe, and this is how I think you should live your life. And that, that's, that's based on experience that I've, that I've had interacting with other people and what I've seen in, in, on a national level. Um, now, because we live in such a small rural area, even the liberals aren't that liberal. Um, but I would be so happy to share with you a, a Facebook exchange that I was just a part of. I was just telling one of, one of my buddies about this this morning. Um, there was a, a friend of mine that I've recently made. I, I've, I've kind of dipped a toe into the acting uh, gig. And uh, so I made some friends. And, and uh, so on, on Facebook, the U.S. Women's National Team uh, soccer team came mm-hmm. up in, in conversation. And there was a video that was posted of some of the some of the girls, uh, the ladies. I'm sorry from the uh, from the U.S. Women's National Team at a victory celebration parade, and it was like an Instagram selfie style video, and they're talking about the key to the blankety blank city, and just using some pretty rough language, and uh, kind of a, a real arrogant attitude. And this friend of mine posted the the link to the video and said, "I think this is a shame." they should carry themselves with more class than this. And, you know, because of this, I don't really want to expose my kids to, to these kind of people because I don't want them talking like that. I don't want to hear that kind of language and seeing that kind of attitude. And I weighed in. This, this was my fault for being an idiot of thinking that I should put my opinion in. But my opinion, you know, I just basically said three things here. These people are in the public eye. They have a real opportunity to influence people for good. And this is a shame that they're they're using their platform here to say these things and to act this way. Number two, I don't have a problem with, with anybody. Uh, the whole equal pay for equal work thing kind of got brought up too. And I said, you know, when you go into a business, you should understand that whatever value you bring to that business in the private sector, that's the money that you make. And there are other pro sports out there that make a lot more money than American soccer. And so regardless of how hard they work, regardless of, of what their ethics are, you know, the work ethic is and their personal value doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money they should make. And then, you know, it, it only has to do with the amount of value that they bring to that business. And then lastly, I said the American flag should never be disrespected. It doesn't matter what subset you consider yourself a part of, whether you're white, black, gay, straight, poor, rich, um, you know, identify as an attack helicopter or as a chinchilla, whatever it is that you identify yourself as, we should all be able to agree that we are Americans. And the American flag is a physical representation of that, and it should never be trampled on, and it should never be disrespected, because it is kind of one thing that should bind us all together, no matter what else you consider yourself. And out of that, out of me trying to be as respectful and vanilla as I could be, about those ideas. One particular person, I won't say their name, uh, someone who had also done some acting, says, oh, get off your high horse. You've never been oppressed by anything in your life. You don't know what it's like. Those uh, soldiers fight and die so that we can protest these things and, and the injustices. And uh, and then started accusing me of threatening him. And it was just nuts and completely unhinged. And there was a couple other people that were like, dude, chill out. He, he just kind of gave his opinion and you're freaking out and it really opened my eyes because this was the first time that I'd ever really had to deal with somebody from a, a very liberal leaning ideology that said you can't tell me how to live my life when I never did such a thing I just said 
This is kind of how I feel about it. This is my personal opinion. And said that. And they were like, you don't tell me what to do. I, I so you're not on Twitter, are you? I have a Twitter account. <laughs> I'm not active. Because that's all Twitter is, is yeah. a bunch of hate. That's that's all it really comes across as. Um, so with with the, the, the right and the left and the way that, that people view these things, you never being oppressed, which I chuckle at because every human being on this planet has dealt with some sort, in some way, oppression. Some way more than others. Of course. And I don't demean mm-hmm. anybody who's ever been through it, but everybody has some understanding of it. We all know that it's wrong. We all know that it shouldn't happen. And yet, people continue to do it. What I've seen as of late is the left is much more oppressive than what the right is. Of course, I live here in a red state. I've lived in blue states. I've lived in red states. I've lived in uh, red countries and blue countries. Right. And to see how they how they kind of function. And I always come back to a more moderate right standing. I'm not super conservative. But I'm much more conservative than I am liberal, um, and I, I don't, you know, have any kind of hatred towards those folks. I just really wish everybody would toughen up a little bit, mm-hmm. take some ribbon, and uh, you know, go about their day without you know trying to hurt other people. Right. Um, a story you know came up recently of a journalist who's in Portland, and uh, are you are you familiar with this guy in Portland? She had been trying to make some of those changes before I had my surgery. Uh, most of my bad decisions probably happened when my wife wasn't there. Honestly, you know, at work, going out to eat, uh, you know, snacking around different times, you know, stopping at the gas station, getting a pizza roll and a Reese's cup, those kind of things. I do recall several meetings you we used have to have seen those. <laughs> um, at the Mexican restaurant. It was used to be every Wednesday and turned in every Thursday. Then Josh opened his restaurant and they all stopped. And it was, <laughs> we, nobody went over there anymore. Right. Like we still went, but. Never as a group. Right, that's you know, right. I probably had more dinners in this town with police officers than I have with my family. Yeah, Because um, well, all I've got left is my dad anyway, so it's like, ah, yeah. he's okay. Um, so I've, I've had a lot of meals with you guys, and I've seen the way everybody eats. And what I've noticed is every cop who sits down, this goes for sheriff's office or, you know, PD, they eat as fast as they possibly can because they're going to get a call right. about something. They might be back in 30 minutes because it might be something really dumb. Right. But they're going to eat as fast as they can because they don't know when they're going to get to eat again. That's exactly right. And that's a rough, rough mindset. And I see our entire police force slowly but surely gaining weight. Yeah. They all are. Um, I think probably... Uh, Chief Police in Brownsville is the only one I see not gaining weight. Right. But everybody else is getting a little bit bigger over time. Because yeah. I, I see him periodically. Right. So when I see him once a month, I go, oh, he's, he's gained three or four pounds. Right. He's gained ten. But that's the life that I live. Sure. I'm always looking at people's posture and everything else. Right. It's like all the weight that you've lost, you just spread out <laughs> and gave to everybody else. So with your house being like that, you spend more time here than you do at home. Oh, no doubt. You're, you're a sheriff more yeah. than you are... It's hard to say, but you're a sheriff more than you are a father, a husband, and... Well, being a sheriff coexists with everything else. I never right. get to turn that off. Yeah, it's, so, it's all the time. Yeah. Your phone could go off at any time. Luckily, I have your number and you respond to me, so th- I'm thankful of that. Yeah. But, I mean, at any time, you can get that call. Hey, you got to go. There's this wreck. There's this domestic. There's this thing going on. 
And so you don't know. So how much of this lifestyle can transfer into work and help the people that you, that, I mean, you trust your life in the hands of Wally and Jordan and everybody else you've got. Right. So how much of that can you bring to them? Well, the, the how, hard, how responsive are they? Oh, well, the, here's the hardest part for me. But for 37 years of my life, you know, I'm 39 now. Mm-hmm. So for the first 37 years, I ate what I wanted. I drank what I wanted. I didn't really exercise, and I didn't care because uh, I thought I'll be fine. And now I've made a change in my life. It's really going to be hard for me to come to somebody and say, now this is what you need to do. That makes you those, one of those born-again Christians or the, the smokers that quit or the the alcoholics that are in remission. Right. Um, I, I don't ever want to despise be, those folks. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't ever want to be the guy that because I've done something that I think everybody else should do it. And, and I think that goes back to the conservative versus liberal mindset that we talked about at the first, uh, first of the session here. I like how that came full circle. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Um, I, I want to encourage everybody to be the best version of themselves. You know, and uh, I didn't do that for a while. I wasn't the best version of me. In some ways, I, I, I always was striving to do that, but in other ways, I wasn't. So what I'm trying to do as far as, you know, and to go back to what you asked me about my family, when, when I had my surgery and my diet had to change, my wife, she lost 30 pounds with me during that time, and I didn't think she had 30 pounds to lose. She was a gorgeous woman and had a great figure and, I, you know, then she lost 30 pounds, and I was looking at pictures before and after. Because before and after pictures of me are insane. They're a different person. At. Yeah. It you're, looks not, like you're not the same guy. This guy could eat this guy, you know. That guy did eat that yes, guy. Yes, that's right, <laughs> daily. Yeah. Uh, with my wife, it's it, obviously it's not that drastic of a change, but there's a, a very drastic change. And she didn't look bad to start with, so now she just looks amazing. Um, but my kids have, have had to change, you know, and, and uh, one of the things that we say is, if you need a snack, you get it out of the fridge, not out of the pantry. Because the pantry is where you put non-perishables, your snack cakes, your your cookies, you know, those kind of mm-hmm. things, which we don't buy very much of. But, you know, there's something on hand usually in case we have, you know, guests that stop by and we need to, you know, pull. Because obviously we live in the South and you got to have food. Yeah, if you ain't got you food know. and people ain't going to visit you, they're going to talk bad about That's you right. on Facebook. That's right. So, you know, if you eat it out of the fridge, it's going to be fruit, it's going to be vegetables, it's going to be meat, cheese, you know, things that are fuel that your body needs anyway. It doesn't have to taste bad. You know, we keep good tasting snack food, but if you get it out of the fridge instead of out of the pantry, it's going to be better for you. So that's one of our rules that we that we kind of had. If you need a snack, you're going to do this. Another, We haven't done this in our house, but I heard of a, of a friend that does this, that you have to pay for whatever, you know, and not in money, in exercise time. So if you want to eat a, a you know, snack cake, you want to eat you know, a zinger or whatever, you can have one. But you got to go out and you got to walk for 20 minutes around the driveway. And I, that may be something we implement in the future to just kind of help our kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll have to hold ourselves to it, too. But, you know, that's just an idea. It's something we heard and we thought was a good idea. Um, as far as the department goes, though, um, I encourage them. You know, if I see them uh, doing something dumb uh, with, their, with their food intake, you know, I try not to just call them out on it. Be, you know, I'll just I might make an offhanded comment. Whew! Well, I fatten that, you know. Boy, there's a lot of sugar in them things. I can't eat those no more. And that's what I try to do is, oh, I, I can't do that anymore. You know, if you look right over here to my right, you'll see a jar of peanut butter mm-hmm. and a spoon sitting on top of it. If I need a snack, I'll get a spoonful of peanut butter. 
high in protein, low in sugar. It's got some good stuff. It's high in fat, but I'm more concerned about protein and sugar, and that's what's made a big di the biggest difference for me. So you know, when some when I see somebody eating a, a you know three musketeers, I'm like, oh, you know, man, those are good. Yeah, they really are. I can't eat those anymore. You know, I, I'm gonna go over here and get a spoonful of peanut butter, hoping that maybe they might think. In the future, you could just stand over their desk and drool on it a little bit and just stare at them when they do <laughs> it. Then I wind up eating it. Yeah, and then I then I wind up in the bathroom for three hours later. Uh, but oh, he is a moderate right uh, journalist. He's Vietnamese and he's gay. Okay. And he lives in Portland. Typically, all these things together do not equal conservative. But no, that's a really strange concept to me. Right. So he goes to this Antifa um, protest. And they beat the living crap out of him. Holy and he's just there as a journalist. You know, your brother's a journalist. Hmm? He goes and he covers things. Now imagine if he was going to a protest and then they were throwing milkshakes filled with quick creep at him and then started just beating him as badly as they could. Right. And then when you go to the police force locally there to get help, they say, oh, you need to go to the ambulance. Well, the ambulance is on the other side of the crowd. Go ahead and head that way. And there's nothing they'll do about it. And he has to then, you know, he's dazed, he's confused, he's been hit in the head several times, probably has some sort of head trauma, and he has to walk to get to the ambulance to go get taken care of. Now, this stuff's been publicly put out on, on Facebook and right. Twitter and everything else, and I mean, dude got beat up pretty bad, and he's just trying to get the story, but because of his background and the way that he views things, they saw him as a threat. Wow. And they decided to just beat the crap out of him. This happened, it's, it happened within July, so it hasn't been that long. Okay. Um... I'll try to find you some more, more information on that one so we can study it. Of course, it. I, I have been following the depolicing aspect of things in Portland. You know, the Portland police is, is in, in a law enforcement community, mm -hmm. has kind of been looked down upon because of their the, the upper echelon saying, we just aren't going to take any action here. This is, mm -hmm. a, this is a political protest. We're not going to get involved in that. And what they're doing is they're failing to prosecute obvious violations of the Oregon laws that they see with their own eyes because it's connected to a political uh, protest. And to me, I don't care what political protest it is, if people are violating the law, if you come to Kentucky, especially if you come to Evanston County, you can protest anything you want. I value everyone's First Amendment right to free speech. It's when you start laying hands on other people, you start throwing stuff at other people, we're not going to tolerate that. And I don't understand why any police agency or any you know, any city government would say, well, we're just not going to get involved in that. And if somebody gets hurt, then they just kind of put themselves in that position by showing up. That's ridiculous. Now, Portland has kind of a, a weird thing going on with it in that their mayor is also their police commissioner. Okay, that's weird. It's its dual role, and I guess it's always been that way, and they've never had a need to change it. Maybe with all this stuff coming up, it would be time to start looking into, hey, mm -hmm. maybe the police commissioner should have been, I don't know, maybe a police officer <laughs> and not just a politician. Yeah. It's possible they might need some background. So I wonder, because Portland is considered so far left, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, you think of Portland, you think hippies. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you think of. But I used to akin it to more of the you know, peace, love, dope type. Right. Like, hey, guys, let's all get along. Can't we all just like hang out in the field and, you know, smoke dope and have fun so that's what I always akin to do not to the violence and the people wearing masks and throwing bottles and batons and everything else that they're doing right, right. now so is it possible that maybe this uh, this mayor is saying hey 
let's not do anything because these are voters. And these people might actually vote for me again and keep me in power. But from what I understand, he's not very well liked by either side. So it seems kind of strange. And, I mean, Portland has almost always been left. Right. All their politicians and everything. So is it possible that these police decisions are being made just to not incite more riots and not get these groups to go against the police? That may be the idea behind it, but I think it is a it, it's it's a bad direction to think because you're you're looking at anarchy, you know mm-hmm. that the more you think that direction that well we're not going to get involved in this because it could cause more problems, and it's already causing problems, you're just inching toward anarchy, which may be what Portland people want. I don't know, but they'll decide that the next election. I say, and, and I've always said this, and, and in a political role because obviously as the sheriff of a county. Politics is part of my life, whether I like it or not. Right. I have always said, since I've been involved in this, people deserve what they vote for. If you, if, if the majority votes for a mayor who is also the police commissioner who doesn't want their police department getting involved in these kind of things and it causes personal injury and, and property loss, then those people in Portland deserve whatever happens there, if that's what they voted for. And if they decide to vote in a mayor who says, you know what, we need a little separation. Let's put a, an actual cop in charge of the cops. And uh, we're not going to tolerate this. And and, then, and if the people don't like that, then they can change that back again. But, I mean, it, it goes back to my original thought of you deserve what you vote for. The majority. You know, whatever the majority votes for, that, that's what that place deserves. And I, that's how I sleep at night, knowing when I go to work, every day that I go to work as an elected police officer... I could be upsetting part of my uh, constituency, you know, and and every, um, I would say almost every situation that we respond to, there's people that will like what we do and people that will not like what we do out of every situation. More times than not, people don't like it. Uh, Well, at least that's what we hear, you know, people don't come up and pat us on the back and say, hey, I just want to let you know you're doing a good job. That just doesn't happen in law enforcement. Right. I, f- I figured the majority of what you hear is the squeaky wheel. Yes, and absolutely. People that scream out, man, I can't believe Shane did this to me. This is absolutely unheard of. And he didn't do it to like 14 other people that I saw doing it. And I'm like, well, did he see them do it? <clears throat> if he didn't, you really can't arrest them. Well, I, I, Just wish I, had, I wish I had a dollar for each time I've been sent a screenshot of something somebody posted on social media that was against me or the sheriff's office or one of my deputies. Because I wouldn't have to work anymore if that were the case. I get them almost, I mean, well, multiple times a week, I get a screenshot from somebody about something that somebody had to say. about. It's usually the same people, though. And mm-hmm. that's what I figured out, is most people, around here at least, most people are good people. They like the cops. They like what we do. They just don't say it. They're not real vocal about it. And the ones that don't, that complain all the time, it's the same 10% of people that complain and then chirp at each other. And so you might see a Facebook thread with 200 comments on it, but it's the same 10 people yelling back and forth at each other. It's not 200 people that don't like what's going on. And I had to get, I had to understand that so as not to lose my mind every election year, mm-hmm. because it gets, I mean, it'll wear on you, man. It really will. When yeah. you're trying to do the right thing and you're trying to help people and you're putting yourself out there, uh, and it's, I'm sure it's not just law enforcement. It's not just me as the sheriff. Any, any elected politician. There, somebody's going to complain about it. And if you can't grow a little thicker skin, it's going to be tough. I, I, I have a rule. I don't read comments. 
I just I won't do it. I won't go down that rabbit hole because the minute that That's you start brutal. to respond, it's it's going to get bad because you cannot change anybody's mind no. on social media. I don't think anybody's went to Facebook and said, you know, I'm going to be open minded today, see what I can learn. Nobody's doing that. No. So you go on there, and basically the way that you know Facebook is set up, the way the algorithm is, it's set up to put negative things in front of you because you're more likely to engage on something negative than you are on something that's positive. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so a lot of my my own social media feed is blocking people or unfollowing them. Yeah. Because like they'll put up something super political, right or left, either way, I don't care, and I'll look at it. I'll go, I do not agree with this. I think this is silly. Then I go to their profile page and look at the last three things they posted. If two of them were like a lifting video and some puppies, then you know what? I'll keep them on. Right. They'll be able to stay. But if the last three things were anti-Trump or anti-Hillary or anti-whoever, right. unfollow. I'll remain their friend because, hey, you know, we have some interest in, you know, strength, powerlifting, strongman, whatever it is. That's fine. But if you're super political, I'm not going to follow you. I just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to deal with it. And, you know, this conversation here is going towards the political side because I kind of, I want to know your view on it. Sure. Because nobody in the media right now goes to see what the conservatives are saying. They go off whatever Trump said. That's it. That's clearly he is the voice of the people. And everything he says is what all conservatives believe. No, it's not. Yeah, that's not fair. He says crazy stuff. But I think he does it for a reason. Because... It gets a rise out of people. It gets his oh, face yeah. on on the TV. It gets his voice on the radio. He know? spent the li- the least amount of money out of anybody in the election. Anybody. He spent the least because right. everything for him was free. Yeah. Not because he's privileged. No, because he said stupid stuff. And so all the news stations went, look what Trump is saying. You elected him by putting his face out there so much. Yeah. You didn't go to Mike Huckabee. Well, they say there's no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, you know, and I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, by but the letter, but Donald Trump is, I mean, case in point. Yes, and everything hits him and slides right off. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he sleeping with a porn star. Okay. Next, he doesn't. He does not care. But right. meanwhile, you got Bill Clinton. Got a, you know, some extra extra special treatment in the Oval Office. Yeah. Impeachment immediately. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold up. What's what's happening here? If we had had Twitter back when Kennedy was in office, oh gosh, <laughs> Lord have mercy, Johnson. Oh God, yeah. Um, or you go even farther back, you go to Lincoln. Oh sure, he would have said some stuff that was silly, but he had enough time to write everything out, say his speeches, do his public appearances, and that was it. Nobody heard what happened behind closed doors. Right. Now everything is out there. Well, the argument could be made though that we're better off because of it because we don't. We actually should know what we're voting for now. There shouldn't be skeletons in the closet that you'll never know about anymore because there's so many lenses out there to capture what you're doing. And if you follow me around long enough, you're going to catch me slip and say something that is, you know, that somebody's not going to like, that even my own, my own supporters may not like because I'm human. I'm not infallible. And I'm going to get upset sometimes. I'm going to say something that I, I may regret sometimes. I may say something that normally I would never say in front of a, a, you know, a certain group of people, but that it makes me try to be more honest with myself. It makes me you know, watch myself more and try to, try to live my life in a way that it's, it's a positive influence for other people. And Because I know there are lenses and there are ears that are going to catch me. And as long as they catch me being consistent, then at least everybody knows what their what their choice is, and 
maybe that's better because you can't fake it anymore. That's just a, that's a that's an idea I've had. I don't know if it's right or not, but it's just something I thought about. So, at what point did you decide, hey, I I really want to go be one of the most hated people in America and be a cop? <laughs> well, when I got into it, it was right at the the time. I've been doing this for fifteen years, Dave. So. Uh, you know, it's been, when, 15 years ago, there wasn't a mass hatred for police. There was still a lot of public respect, or at least implied respect. You know, not For our region. Yes, for our area, absolutely. Because I think if you go back to, you know, any of the civil rights days, any of the big cities, police kind of had this general disdain. You know, people just didn't like cops right. in cities. And now it's kind of grown to almost everywhere. If I talk to an individual, just one-on-one, they say, yeah, I like that we have cops. I'm glad that I don't, you know, get shot at a traffic light every day. It's really nice that people think there's consequences, and I don't have to deal with that. But you get any more than two people together. No, 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 them cops are always out to get us, trying to make that money, trying to give me a ticket because I was late to work. Well, man, you were doing 90 and a 35. <laughs> How about you don't try to kill people? You know, and, and I get it. I mean, I've been caught speeding before. I probably speed every day. If the speed limit says 50, good chance I'm doing 51 to 55 right. at some point. But, you know, as long as the cops are not just being an asshole, um, and forgive my language, I'm trying to keep this you're one good, as, You're good, man. I'm trying to keep this one as censored as I can. Normally my, my cursing is much more. Um, but out of respect, I'm going to try not to. Thank you. Um, so, like, with, with speeding, what's, what's your view on it? Okay, so... I had a guy, um, I've not always been a cop, but I have been in public safety in, in some form or another for a while now. Um, I started at uh, the Corvette plant as a security guard um, back in like 2000-ish. I can't remember exactly when, but I was a security guard at the Corvette plant, and that's, you know, I, I worked with a lot of various group of people, and there were some, like, some people that were Wiccans, on one side of things, and then there were like U.S. Army vets and, and retired cops. And so there was a retired cop that I, I got to hang out with one time. This is, I thought I might want to be a cop. See, my uncle was a trooper. So to answer your question from before, I, I kind of wanted to be a cop when I was a kid. I, I, we had the D.A.R.E. the dare program. The sheriff came in, taught D.A.R.E. to us when I was in my fifth grade. And I thought, man, that's cool. I think I might want to do that when I get older. And then, but I was kind of timid. I didn't really want to, I didn't like confrontation. And I thought, ah, it's not, I'm not cut out for that. And as I got older and I went to college, I thought, well, maybe I want to be a marriage and family counselor. Because my friends always, when they had relationship problems or, you know, trouble at home or whatever, I was the guy they would come talk to. And so, a lot like my dad in, in that way. My dad being a, a minister, he, you know, he kind of built, wired that way. And I took after him a lot. And so, um, I thought, that's what I want to do. But then my uncle was a trooper. And I did ride-alongs with him. And then my best friend went to state police. And I was doing ride-alongs with him. And I realized this is something that I really do enjoy. And uh, I like being around these people. They're, they're good, you know, good-hearted people. And the, uh, the, the idea of actually going out every day and trying to make a difference for, for one person, that was a great idea to me. And so... I decided to give it an, you know, give it a whirl, see if it would work. And my original plan was to go work at a local agency for about a year, get my feet in the water, and then go state police because state police they had the best cars and the best guns and the you know the thin gray line and 
you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm friends with a lot of troopers. I, I know the commissioner. I mean, we're we're not buddies or anything, but you know, I, I've been in class with him, and, and and I have a lot of respect for those guys. But I came to realize when I went to work for the sheriff's office that the troopers aren't better than the city and the county departments. They're just different. They have a different uh, focus. And I really like the local aspect of it, especially being here at home with the people that I cared about the most. And so when I got this job with the sheriff's office, the, the hardest part was also the best part, which was policing your own people. Because it's hard to police your own people, but it's also very rewarding when you can help your own people. So that's, that's why I decided to stay with the sheriff's office. I, ne- I never, once I did it for a little while, I never gave any thought to going state police or going to another bigger department, even though I could have made a lot more money. I could have been given a lot better equipment at the time. And 15 years ago, there was still a good attitude. But the sheriff's office kind of for a long time had been viewed as a second-rate department just because of the training standards that were there for those guys. There weren't, there weren't any for a long time. And then the state made some legislative changes, and now there are rigorous training requirements and education requirements for being a law enforcement officer. And so I went to the academy. I graduated with the top honor they had, which was called Recruit of Distinction. You had to have a real high, you know, like a 95 average on all the tests and no documented disciplinary issues and you know effort put in. And, and I was very proud of that. Um, and so, you know, being in law enforcement, and on a county level is, I mean, it's the greatest reward, you know, of anything outside of my family or my church. It's just so rewarding. And it's, and it's a real sense of accomplishment because I get to see actual results of making a difference in my community. So you say policing your own. How many family members have you had to arrest? Two. Um, a great uncle and a first cousin. Was that any harder than anybody else? I mean, it's tough. It, it sucks, man. It really sucks um, because it's hard to have to look that person in the eye later, you know, around the dinner table, you know, at the church. Um, but, you know, because nobody's perfect, and I don't expect anybody that makes a mistake to just stay there forever. I, I want them to get better. I want them to do better for themselves. So, you know, I'm not going to refuse to go to dinner with them, you know, when it's Sunday dinner time or I'm not going to go to a different church because my, you know, my cousin who got in trouble and did some stupid stuff once, uh, you know, wants to try to straighten his life back out. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm proud that they want to be better. Um, but it can be awkward, you know, and, and it's not just family. You know, this is a small county. We only have a little over 12,000 people in the whole county. And so odds are wherever I am, if I'm in this county, I am within... You know, a stone's throw of somebody that I've had to either arrest, write a ticket to, or I was there on one of the worst days of their life. And one of the things uh, that, that I've had a lot of people ask me is, how hard is it knowing so much about all these people? And it's really hard. Because when you're in the position that I'm in, and you have to see people on their worst days, you know about their marriage troubles. You know about the time their kid did something really stupid at school and got caught with something that they weren't supposed to have. Uh, you know about the time that they were drinking and driving and, and they had to you know, go to jail. Uh, you know about the time that they uh, got caught with somebody else uh, you know, in the back of a car that they shouldn't have been with. Um, and you know, all of these things are real examples that I'm, thank God I don't have to tell their names. 
And I'm sure they're really happy about it too. But I know all these things and I have to lock those away. And the next time I see them, I still have to be the same guy that I am. And I have to treat them like they're the same person that they were before. Because, again, a mistake, a misjudgment does not give me the right to judge them for the rest of their life. You know, because I have to judge every situation based on what little information I have right at that moment. And I have to decide, is this something I need to take action on or is it not? If I do have to, the next day, I still have to be able to walk by them in the grocery store, look them in the eye, give them a head nod, and say, if you need something, you can call me and I'll be here for you. So there's not a line for you where somebody goes from being a person to a degenerate? I No, I, there is. There absolutely is. And to me, it's it, it's a blurry line. But it, uh, it's basically, do you have a pattern of bad behavior? Yeah, they've been arrested you, 12 times, right. and they're still going to church, and they're still on that high horse, they're still trying to say that they're and there doing are people, good. And there are people like that. And I, I just, instead of instead of uh, denigrating them I just choose to stay away but I still have to be available to help you know and there's a there's an old statistic out there I don't know what it's based in but I believe it and that is that 10% of the people commit 90% of the crimes and 90% of the people who are victims of crimes are perpetrators of other crimes so a, a small number of people are the victim most of those are also criminals. So, you know, that, that's, that's just an interesting you know, statistic that I learned in college when I was, uh, had a criminology minor in, at Western. And based on the calls that I get, we get calls from people who have been on the wrong end of the law a lot more often than we get calls from your regular everyday Joe that gets up, goes to work, takes care of their family, comes home, eats dinner, goes to bed, and does it all over again the next day. Um, so the, the people that we deal with most of the time, whether it's on the bad end or the good end, there's somebody we've got a history with anyway. I still have to be able to help them. So you know, that's my whole point of that story is I have to be able to enforce the law and do my job whether I like the person or don't, whether I've arrested them 10 times, one time, or no times. And it, it's, it's uh, you know, sometimes I have to ask myself, is it really worth going to all the trouble that I am putting my life out here on the line and putting my deputies' lives on the line to help these people that don't like me that will probably wind up locking up the next time that we see them instead of, you know, solving a crime for them. You know, get some of my stolen stuff back. Crap, they might have stolen from somebody else. But we have to go with the information that we have. So, anyway, back to your, is there a line that they're degenerate or they're not? It's, is it a pattern of behavior? Do you have a pattern of good behavior with a few missteps? Or do you have a pattern of bad behavior where you accidentally were on the right side of the law a few times? And the good news is most people, they're good people that make some mistakes sometimes. And I, I choose to look at people that way. And I'm naive, man. I still, even after 15 years in law enforcement, I'm naive. And I will give people the benefit of the doubt way more than I probably should. But it helps me sleep at night, knowing that I'm not just walking over and judging everybody, looking down my nose at them. When I know their deepest, darker secrets, and I'm just choosing to say, you know what, maybe it was just a mistake. Maybe you just accidentally got caught doing something stupid, or maybe you got caught up with the wrong people. Maybe next time it'll be better. And i, I got to do it that way in order for me to be able to sleep at night. Right. The The morality side of it is, is definitely tough. 
So more often than not, when you go out, because, I mean, you're always in town, you're always around, I always see you in the county somewhere. More often than not, are you meeting people that enjoy you being there or the ones that are giving you that, that look out of the side of their eye? I love what I do because I get to interact with people. I mean, you know, there are times that I have enough and I need to go home and just be by myself sometimes. And, you know, that's why I mow my own yard because that's, that's me time. You know, that's why I like to play golf. You know, I, I've got some other hobbies that I like to do. Um, but for the most part, I like people. I like being around people. And I love the people that I get to serve. And so uh, most of the time, it's people that are, they're, they're, friendly they're uh, gregarious about wherever i'm at they they you know they want to hear stories about different things that i've had to deal with in law enforcement and um you know most of the people that live in this county whether they voted for me or not and some of them didn't i mean you know it, all you gotta do is go back and look at the the records of the election and i didn't get all the votes yeah but most of those people still treat me with respect because i still treat them with respect and it's hard man when you know when somebody you know publicly supported your opponent you know, and the way I look at it is, you're trying to get me fired from my job. That, I mean, because it's my, I don't own the sheriff's office, but right now I am the sheriff. And if I'm trying to become the sheriff for another four more years, and you want somebody else in there, you're trying to fire me. And that's hard. It's like reading negative comments. Yeah, man, it sucks. Yeah. But if I don't know what people are dissatisfied with, I can't change anything. Maybe if something needs to be changed, maybe it ain't. And if I'm not going to change it, I'll just tell them. You may not like this, but this is how I do it. And I've had to tell several people that. But still, they're respectful to me. I'm respectful to them. And if they need something, I'll help them. And then next election, hopefully I've earned enough of their respect that they do want to support me again. And I always put that message out there in the media whenever I, whenever the election's over. You know, the, the last the two elections that I've ran, I've won. And then I, what I put out there is, hey, thank you for those who supported me. For those of you who didn't. I want to earn your support in the future. And I want you to feel like you can call and get help. So, most so, people like us. How long were you with the sheriff's office before you decided, I want to be the sheriff? 11, well, before I decided I wanted to be was... Yeah, before you decided you wanted to be, and then before you took action to it. About five years. About five years before I decided this is what I want to do. Okay. It was 11 years before I ran. Why'd you wait? Well, um, the sheriff that... Uh, when I decided I wanted to do this, the sheriff I was working for resigned midterm and retired. And there were a few of us that were vying for the position to be appointed so that we could run. So um, the, the whole process, when a sheriff resigns in the middle of a term, the judge executive then has to appoint a replacement. And there are no requirements other than you have to be a U.S. citizen, you have to be a citizen of the state of Kentucky for two years, uh, or maybe, yeah, for two years. You have to be a citizen of the county for at least a year. You can't have any felonies, no domestic violence. That's it. And you can't be a dishonorably discharged from the military. So anything to be any law enforcement officer, those are the requirements. You don't have to be certified to be sheriff. You don't have to go to the academy. You could be a farmer. You could be a transmission mechanic. You could be completely unemployed and still be the sheriff legally. Whether it's a good idea or not, it's a whole different conversation that we don't have time to get into today. But <laughs> that might be its own podcast. Yeah, that could be, itself. could very well be. Yeah. But uh, in order to be the sheriff, that that's all it takes, and the and the, uh, the judge executive has to appoint that person. So me, another deputy, we tried to be appointed. 
there was a uh, the Brownsville City Police Chief at the time. He wanted to be appointed. There was a couple more people that wanted to be appointed. And the city police chief, he was a retired trooper. It was a safe political move, and it made a lot of sense because this guy was a retired trooper, 25 years experience, had been the Brownsville City Police Chief for like three years or something, maybe more. And that person was appointed sheriff. I went to work for that person. Actually, I was working here. I stayed in the office. I was actually offered the police chief job in Brownsville, but I'd already given the sheriff my word that I would stay with him. On the con- Not on the condition, but under the auspices. So did he hold both offices at the same time? No. He had to resign from city to come to the county. When he found out he was going to be appointed, he had me come into the office, and we sat down and talked, and he said, what I would like to do is just finish this term, which was two years, and then turn it over to you. I want to, I want to take these two years to groom you, get you ready to be the sheriff, and then you run in 2008. That's awesome. And I told this guy, I told the sheriff, I was like, okay, well, what I, I'm going to try to win the, the nomination, the Republican nomination, so that I can run. And I'm going to go against you for that. If you beat me, I will support you. If I beat you, I want you to support me. And he's like, yeah, no problem, man. That sounds great. He beat me by five votes to get the Republican nomination. And that's that was selected by the Republican Executive Committee and, and the, uh, the other voting members of the Republican uh, Party of the county. And he beat me by five votes. So I gave him my word I'd stay with him. City police comes, hey, you want to be a police chief? Nope, done gave my word, man. I got I to gotta stick with this other guy. Turned down at least a $5,000 a year raise. That's a lot, damn it's okay. Yeah. About a year into that half term, I had been telling everybody, I'm going to run in two years. The sheriff then says, uh, I think I'm going to run. I think I'm just going to go ahead and run one more time. And totally went back on what he told me. Uh, we had a conversation about it three different times where I was getting information that he was campaigning. And I asked him, no, 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 no. He would never tell me that. Just tell other people he's going to run. So finally, the last time I cornered him about it, he said, yeah, I am. I just don't think you're ready, so I'm going to do it again. So I was very upset. Um, I chose not to get involved in that election at all. Uh, one of the other uh, officers, uh, another retired trooper, ran and won, and I went to work for him. And I told him, I don't care how much you win by. I don't care. I'm going to run in four more years. So if you're planning on running for another term, just get ready to fire me because I'm going to run. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to run again. Uh, this is, I just want to do this four-year term. I was like, yeah, I heard that before. And he was like, no, 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 I'm telling you the truth. And he was honest. Mm-hmm. He, ran, he, he worked for four years. He helped me immensely. And then I decided to run in 2014 to take office in 15, and I won. Okay. So when is the next election coming? Well, we just had one last year, so it'll be 2022 will be the next election and then to take office for a third term in January of 23. Well, you you are like half the person you were a year ago, so <laughs> I mean... Is that a compliment? <laughs> yes, okay. I'm going with compliment. Physically, yeah. yes. So going with that, that line, um, let's talk about this weight loss. Um, you weren't always a, a huge guy. No. I remember you in high school. <laughs> you were larger than average. Yes. Um, but not always as big as you were like a year ago. Right. So uh, how long did it take? And when did you, when did you reach your biggest point? When okay. you said, this is it. So I, uh, I have always been a big person. I mean, I've always been bigger than most of the people around me. 
Um, and I'm tall. I'm six foot five, so I'm a tall guy. Um, and I've always carried my weight pretty well. Um, but like when I was in the eighth grade, I weighed 240 pounds. I was a big eighth grader. And then um, through high school, I played some sports and I lost a little bit of weight. Um, and then I got a girlfriend, so I started, you know, kind of watching myself around the food and stuff. And my metabolism kicked in finally. And so when I was a senior, I was down to like 200 pounds at six foot two. And carried it pretty well and, and was, you know, more athletic cut than I was, you know, heavy. But I was still a bigger dude. Uh, and then my freshman year of college, I didn't gain the freshman 15. I, I gained the freshman 100. I gained 100 pounds my freshman year of college. Jesus. Yeah, nuts, man. Did you live at Papa John's or uh, what happened? The Taco Bell, Papa John's, uh, Waffle House more than anything else. I was. Uh, oh, the lovely Waffle House avid, by, avid, uh, by Western. Oh, I've been there many times. Yes, yeah. um, and uh, scattered, smothered, splattered, and everything else uh, uh-huh. with uh, with about two waffles per meal, and, and I just it went out of hand and I ballooned up and um, I, I kind of yo-yoed back and forth. I tried the fad diets, the Atkins diet, you know, with the low carb, and then then I tried the Weight Watchers thing, and and you know, my parents were after me. Not not like they never made me feel bad about it, but they were like, you know, we're worried about you. You know, you you're going way overboard with you know your your weight you need to get healthy and so they tried to help me and i would i would lose you know i'd lose 40 pounds and then in two months i would gain 45 and then i would lose in 30 days i'd lose 30 pounds and then i would gain in the next three months 35 and so i was yo-yoing back and forth but always i would end up heavier than i was to start with and um i, I met my wife uh, and I lost some, went to the police academy, lost some, got down to about 320. Uh, when I met my wife, I was at about 350. Got down to about 320 in the academy, and a lot of that was muscle change. You know, I, I was smaller than a than a 30-pound loss. Uh, you know, a big difference for me. Um, but then uh, just the being forced to exercise thing, which you being a, a vet, you, you know, you, you understand what boot camp was like and it being forced to work out by the – by the military, we were being forced to work out in the academy. And when I got out and there wasn't somebody there standing over me saying, okay, now you have to run. I was like, screw that, man. I'm never running again unless there's a dude chasing me. And if he is, shoot him. And so, <laughs> you know, I just, I got really sedentary. Uh, and then, you know, my wife and I had children. So, you know, I was trying to deal with them. And then the stress of law enforcement and the, the shift work also kicked in a lot there was a lot of you know fast food meals um you know late meals when you're you know, working late shift and you gotta you know eat supper at 11 work till two get off go straight to bed um and i just continually gained a little bit of weight every year and i got uh th- the biggest i ever got was 404 pounds that's that and i could have been bigger but that was the last you know the highest number i ever saw on a scale and when i realized that i had eclipsed 400 pounds I was very upset with myself because, you know, I knew I was hovering, but I, I'll never get over that. And there was just something about that number that freaked me out. And also, both my parents had had bariatric surgery. They had the gastric sleeve surgery and uh, varying degrees of success. My mom did really, really well with it. and She's done well for years. My dad, not so much. I think he maybe more did it. Um, he wanted to lose weight, but I think mom was kind of pushing him to do it, and his head wasn't maybe in the right spot, as it has to be for it to work. So I did have bariatric surgery uh, in October, uh, and I actually started the process in August of 17. 
my insurance wasn't going to pay for it, so I had to switch insurance companies and had to you know go through a lot of hoops. I, you know, monthly doctor visits for six months, seven months, and then there was visits with psychiatrists and dietitians and surgeons. And uh, went through Vanderbilt. Um, can't say enough good things about Vanderbilt Weight Loss Surgery Center uh, and all the people that work there. And my head actually got in the right spot. I mean, it really did. And I realized I've got to, not only am I going to have a physical change inside my body, but if my mental uh, capacity doesn't change for food and what it's supposed to do, then I will not be successful. I may have a little initial success, but it, will, it won't stay that way. And so I, I've been just a little under a year out now. Well, in October, it'll be a year. And I've lost 133 pounds so far. I'm down to 271 and I've, I feel so good. I didn't, I've said this many times. I didn't know I felt bad until I started feeling good, but it's not just surgery, you know, and, and some people say, well, that's the easy way out. It's absolutely not the easy way out. How much did that surgery cost? Well, the total bill, when you add the surgery, the, the surgeon's bill, the hospital bill and the anesthesiology bill, it was a little over $90,000. That's not the easy way out. and That's more than three times most people's income right. in this county. Now, insurance covered almost all of it. So Thank what, God for that. Yeah, no, I know. Well, I couldn't have done it if, yeah. if it hadn't been. You know, I, I don't make a, a bad salary as sheriff, but I don't make anywhere near that kind of money. But you don't have just 90 grand laying around? I don't. It's crazy. People think that cops are rich, though. I mean, uh, you guys we, make all the money. If we could do roadside <laughs> ticket collections, maybe, but we don't do that. Yeah. That's they, been discouraged since the 70s. Yeah, they do that in Italy, though. Oh, do they really? Yeah. Uh, I'll, right. I'll tell you a fun Stay story about that in just a minute. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, yeah, the the insurance covered almost all of it. I think I was out of pocket a little, little over 4000 um, which made it a lot easier to stomach. Mm-hmm. Uh, LOL. But, uh, and I've I've done really, really well. But again, my mindset's changed. I look at food as fuel, kind of. You know, I, I, a friend of mine, Eric Roscoe, he's a Navy vet. Uh, uh, he was a hospital corpsman in, in the Navy. And, and you know Eric. He's awesome. He's uh, actually supposed to be my next guest on the oh, podcast. I was going to ask you if you could get him on here because yeah. I'm sure he'd be great. But anyway, um, he, he put it to me, and this was back when I was still super fat and not thinking about weight loss surgery. He said, you've got to look at food as you have to eat to live. Don't live to eat. And man, here in the South... Everything is centric around food. Mm-hmm. You know, every get-together has to do with food. Every, you know, you don't have a birthday without uh, a big meal and a cake. And, you know, and then it's just food is the culture mm-hmm. in the South. And it's not, we're not talking about kale and spinach and, and broccoli. We're talking about biscuits and gravy and, you know, barbecue and, mm-hmm. you know, pork, sausage, that kind of stuff. So, um, I'm getting hungry now. I know, dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. It is Sunday. Sunday Sunday dinner should be happening somewhere. <laughs> I need right. to find somewhere to go. But uh, anyway, so that's, uh, it, I, my mindset had to change. And it has. Uh, I still do enjoy the way food tastes. And I'll still enjoy a slice of cake. But instead of a slice of cake, uh, you know, the size of my hand, it'll be a slice of cake the size of one of my fingers. You know, instead of eating a bag of chips, I will eat two potato chips because everybody knows you can't eat just one. That's right. I was just thinking, as yeah, you were yeah. saying a bag, it's like, there's a, there's a, you can't eat just one line coming here. So, the, you know, it's just, my mindset's had to change and I've been successful because of it. And it didn't matter how many surgeries I have, if my mindset didn't change and I didn't want to get healthier, then I would not be successful and I wouldn't stay successful and I wouldn't stay healthy. And the whole idea behind it, it was that number on the scale freaked me out. 
But what it made me think about is, will I be able to walk my daughter down the aisle when she uh, becomes of age? You know, will I which see is, my son graduate? Which is hopefully like 30. Exactly. Every father thinks. You can date when you're 30 or be married. <laughs> one or the other, whichever one comes first is fine. That's right. Just nothing before that. That's exactly yeah. right. Uh, but, you know, those are the thoughts that I had. You know, I don't want my wife to have to be a single parent growing up. You know, uh, my two young children. You know, I got an 11-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter. And they need me. And they tell me that all the time. And, you know, when I come home from work and I hear, Daddy! And they run up the hall and they jump in my arms. And they both still do that. Um, even though my son's your size. Uh, you know, he's yeah, still, he's not a small kid. No, he's no, not. He is not tiny at all. I don't know where he gets it from either. But, I can't imagine. <laughs> but, you know, that right there is what made me change my, my mindset. It wasn't that I want to look better. It wasn't that I, that I want to sleep better. Although, I do look better and I do sleep better. Um... It's, it was all about the future for me and having one. And not, yeah. is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? Is, is it going to be there? Yeah. And now I, I feel like there's a better chance that I'll have a future and then I'll get to see my kids and maybe even my grandkids. Now with that, how much of the diet for the house has changed? Because we know that yours has changed. You eat differently now. Yeah. How much of that are you putting towards your kids? Because for the last 10 years or the first 10 years of like your son's life and your daughter's life, it was, hey, eat because it's good. Right. Eat whatever it is. And your kids are not small. They're not small framed. Right. They're, they're larger kids. Um, how much of the household now that diet is different and how did they respond to it? Well, uh, first thing I want to say is how amazing my wife is because she has been my biggest cheerleader. She's been my biggest supporter through this whole journey that I've been on. And she told me, whenever whenever this, these things change for you, I will do them with you. Because it'd be really easy for her to, when she goes to the grocery store, to continue to buy the Lay's and the Little Debbie's and, you know, all of the, the things that, that I'm not supposed to eat anymore mm-hmm. uh, that will hurt me, actually, if I eat. You know, buying the soft drinks that we used to just tear up. And so, uh, and, and another thing, my wife is a little bit more health conscious than some. You know, she's she likes the essential oils things. You know, she she's not a, like a witch doctor or a voodoo lady, but she's a, a, a big fan of natural remedies when you can and trying to eat healthy. So, with implementing things, you know, for the department itself, do you have any kind of a fitness incentive for the department itself? <laughs> no, and the problem with with a small department, I, I thought about this a minute ago. Um, you know, with some of your bigger departments, you know, uh, and you can you can obviously see the ones that that have a fitness incentive because their people are in better shape. And with uh, officers in better shape, you have fewer workman's comp claims. You have fewer sick days that are used. I mean, there's there are study after study after study that shows that. Right. The, the biggest reason why the military has such stringent rules and regulations is because they don't want a big VA bill. I, I understand. That's exactly it. Like when I was in. You know, if you had bigger than a 39 and a half inch waist, you were going to have heart disease. It's like, no, that's not really the way it works, but I get it. It's all based on money because I'm more apt to be susceptible to these types of diseases and other things than a guy who's 125 pounds. Obviously. Smaller than me, but we're both expected to do the same exact job. Right. We don't do the same job. I do carry more than he does, but we're both held to the same standard. Right. So because of that, it's cheaper to fly that guy who's 120 than it is me who's 300. Um, they're like, okay, multiply that by 300 people put them on a plane. Well, that's a lot more fuel I got to have to right. fly a fatty over here to get to the desert versus the skinny guys. Right. So I see monetarily why it's like that. So then that's my question to you. 
budgets have been slashed. We hear about it at fiscal court. I see that stuff on Facebook because I actually follow that part. Right. Um, you guys' budget has been just destroyed. I mean, it's like at really, really low numbers. Yeah. You got no overtime. You got no extra time to put more more cops out on the road, which we need because it's not a huge county. We don't have a lot of people cover every single corner of it. Right. And there's a lot of places in this county that are 30 minutes away from everything. Yeah. Um, so a fitness program that you could possibly instill, and again, you compare it with the larger departments, you can tell. How do you apply that here? Well, it's really hard. And, and I want to cover something you said just a second ago about the budget. Um, because if you look at the overall number of our budget, they have steadily increased. For the most part. There was one year it was higher, and then it dropped back down. And then so uh, there's a... But you can't just look at that number. And, and that's what really aggravates me is, you know, the, the, the people who are in charge of approving my budget. I make the budget. Then they approve it or they, they, they don't. And then they make line item cuts or whatever. Um, and those are our magistrates. Um, what they'll do is they'll look at the overall bottom number and they'll say, well, it's, it's higher than it was last year. We're giving you more. But what they fail to take into consideration is, well, most of that is retirement. Most of that is uh, insurance. Most of that is workman's comp. You know, Th- that's fuel. The, the, the things that we have no control over whatsoever, you know, when the retirement board comes down and says, oh, by the way, we are raising your mandatory uh, contribution number from 22% to 24%. We have to come up with that money. Am I going to fire somebody to make up the retirement for everybody else? Well, I don't want to do that. So... While the overall number does continue to increase, the fiscal court says, well, we don't have any more, so you're going to have to make cuts somewhere else. So then I have to wind up cutting uh, equipment. I have to cut uniforms. I have to cut overtime uh, because they don't want to pay for that. All in the same time, our call volume in the last five years has gone up 100%. We have twice the amount of calls now that we respond to than we did five years ago. What was the population five years ago? A hundred different. So it's just we have more degenerates here? No. Honestly, and I'm going to kind of be patting myself on the back here a little bit because I run an amazing department. I'm not amazing running a department. I run an amazing department. There's a distinction there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's because people see that they can get results now when they call. And some of that was set up by the sheriff before me. Um, and, And I worked for three different sheriffs got along with two of them really well one of them I didn't at all um and I learned a lot of things that worked I learned a lot of things that didn't work and I have kind of tailored this department with seeing the things that I saw so I honestly believe that we get more calls because people say well you know actually if you'll call them they actually will do something to help you or at least they'll try whereas before it's like I don't know who to call don't even bother them people because they won't help you and so uh, being attached to this department as long as I have for 15 years, I've seen that difference. And so that, I think I'm qualified to make that distinction and, to, and to, to make that observation because I was here during the whole time. What's your most common call? What, what are you guys responding to the most? Um, it used to be property crime, theft of some sort, you know, or vandalism of some sort. You know, my house has been broken into. I had something stolen in my yard, that kind of stuff. Um, after I came in as sheriff and, and we put a big hurt on dope dealers, we, I mean, we locked up dope dealer after dope dealer for the first two, three years of my, uh, my first term. 
there's studies out there that show you, you generalize dope dealers. Is that for all drugs and all dealings, yes. or is that marijuana? Is that meth? Is That's that everything? It doesn't everything matter what is kind. all together. Well, and I'm lumping it all together because there's really not a crime, uh, uh, you know, a a serious crime. And when I say serious, I'm talking about assault, theft, um, domestics. I'm talking about anything that involves a, a, a property loss or personal harm that's not connected in one way or another to either drugs or something with high emotions. Most of the time it's drugs. Because mm-hmm. most people can keep their emotions in check when they're not aided by a foreign substance. So I hear if, bath salts are bad. Oh, that's what I've heard, too. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, if you have a theft, it's usually somebody who has stolen something to sell to get money so they can buy drugs. Or it's a drug dealer who gypped somebody so they get something stolen out of their, you know, out of their truck. So you're not getting a lot of calls for somebody stealing stuff to pay, make rent. You know, it's crazy how that works, but we don't. It's weird. Because yeah. I've had to make rent before, never had to steal. Right. I borrowed for it, but never had to steal for it. Yeah. But I never really had to steal, so that's right. just me. That's, so. it's, it's crazy what will happen when you're willing to go to work for you know for a paycheck and, and do whatever somebody tells you to do so you can pay your bills. It's weird how that works. It is crazy how that works. It really is. Um, but you know, all that being said, the because the, the, the tight connection between drugs and property crime, our property crime rate plummeted the first three years. I mean, it really did. We, 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 I think it was a 40% decrease in property crime in three years. And I'm very proud of that. Uh, you know, I can honestly show the numbers and say, these are the calls that we responded to, and we took this many fewer property calls where somebody had something stolen or had their house broken into or whatever. Uh, and then at the same time, there was a 70% increase in drug arrests. So, you know, there, those, there is a correlation there. It's not like murders and ice cream, you know. But I don't know. crime is down overall, but your calls are up. That's right. So are these calls a lot of erroneous stuff? Or? It's more, we want to let you know something's weird. We get, and, and, and that's why I can't really tell you this is our most common call, because it's more just reporting something that seems out of order. And I've, I've asked, I've begged our, our constituency, the, the residents of our county, to call. If something doesn't look right, call us. The, the best thing that can happen is nothing was wrong. You know, I would much, much rather respond and, and, you know, see a suspicious vehicle, pull it over, and it be some guy who's lost who's looking for an address. As opposed to somebody that doesn't call, and it turns out they were casing a house, and then they wind up finding when the person's, they're going to work, and then they break in and steal their stuff. So, you know, I've, I've tried to beat that in everybody's head of the best case scenario is you were wrong and nothing's wrong. The worst case scenario is you didn't call and something bad happened. So we encourage people to call. And people do. Hey, there's something weird going on over here. There's a guy, he looks suspicious. He's walking down the road. We go check him out. Here's the thing. If he had bad intentions after we've stopped to talk to him, he's probably going to change his mind anyway. So that's another hard thing about being a cop is you never know what a difference you really make because just your sheer presence of being in a place can change the future just because you were there. Something that b- bad that could have happened doesn't happen now. And and you can't quantify that ever. So we don't have a lot of, you know, uh, first blood type incidents where... Not a lot. A drifter's walking through town and you go up to him and you go, hey, you got till tomorrow morning to get out of this town. 
So we, we don't have a lot of that going on here. Now, I'd be lying if I said that I never wanted to do that, <laughs> but I've never done that. Well, good, because we didn't get our town blown up, so that's a that's right. a plus. We're all still here. You never know when Rambo's going to just wander through <laughs> in, a, in a you know big flak jacket. Well, hopefully something. if he does, when he leaves, he'll be saying, you know, that sheriff's bar is pretty nice people down there. That's good. He gave you a ride to the edge of town. That's exactly what Gave you a ride right to the edge of town by the bridge and just let you on down the road. Um, so that's great. So as we go back to um, dope dealers, I kind of want to hit on this a little bit. Across our great nation, many states have decided that the legalization of marijuana is a good thing. Okay. When do you think Kentucky will do this? Because it seems like it's inevitable to go nationwide. I think federally they'll be the last ones to actually say it, but I think each state will eventually do it. I mean, right. Massachusetts did it. They're a weird state anyway. Mm-hmm. Some weird people. Colorado did it. California, Washington, Oregon, so many other states. There's like what 20 something now that have done it. Um I was thinking it, it's 11, but whatever. It's there's more I think it's 11 know. for recreational, okay. but then there's a bunch more for medical, medical use right. and the medical use is really really yeah. laxed. Hey man, oh you got headaches here you go. I got you a know. funny, funny joke there. I got to okay. tell this. I got to tell this joke. So uh, the joke is, guy goes in a California doctor's office and he says, uh, "Hey, I need a prescription for marijuana." And he goes, "Okay, uh, all right. Do you have cancer? No. Well, okay. Well, do you uh, do you have glaucoma? No, I don't have that either." And then the doctor just slaps the piss out of this guy, and he says, "What was that for?" And he goes, "Did your face hurt? Yeah, it hurts. Okay, well, I can write it to you for pain." <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, I, th- I really think so. And I think it, it still is, I mean, yeah. historically. So when do you think Kentucky will, will get on that? Because, I mean, we still have a bunch of dry counties. You can't even drink in a lot of the places. We're in one right now. Yes, we are in a dry um, You can drink here, but you just can't sell it here. See, it makes me wonder, though, if they do legalize recreational marijuana, will they have, like, I don't know what the distinction word would be with with alcohol. It's wet and dry. With with weed, would it be like green and brown? I don't. Or you know, how would they? You know, smoky and and clear. Would it would it be broken down by county could that you, way? Well, they or could. would it just be statewide? I don't know. That's what. That's what or I'm would asking. each county be able to say no? We don't want that in our county. I mean, do they have that kind of control? I think they do. I think they they they've proven that they do with the alcohol. But it's like just here in Tennessee and a few southern states. I know. You don't see, like if any of my friends from out west, I tell them I live in a dry county, they go, what's that? What does that mean? I know. Like that doesn't I make sense. I talked to someone from Indiana, they're like, dry county? What, 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 I don't understand. Right. They don't get it. It's like, well, yeah, we have like 140 distilleries, but all of them are in dry counties. Right. You can get it at the distillery, but you're not allowed to really drink it. Right. It's weird. Yeah. Um, so would Kentucky... In your opinion, this is just Shane Doyle talking. Right. Would Kentucky ever go to a point where we would legalize marijuana? I don't see that all the states won't eventually do it. And and again, that's not my opinion of whether it should or shouldn't. Right. It's just, um, what do you see I, happening? I see that, I can't really give you a timeline because five years ago, I thought, you know, crap, man, the next five years, we're going to have marijuana legalized, at least for medical use. It was five years later, and we haven't seen that yet. But... More and more people feel we like we do it's have good. CBD oil though. <laughs> yes, we do. Which I was like, wow, yeah. there's a sign for it in this town, yeah. and it's great because CBD oil is actually good. Sure, um, it has a lot of medical purposes well, that see, are useful. That's always been my argument with with the whole marijuana thing is, you know, there you can find a good usage for a lot of things. I believe anything that God put on this earth, 
He, there, there is a, a, a positive intention for it. I don't think God gave us anything so that we can get wasted out of our mind. Everything to excess is dangerous. I, I, I you totally can drink too much water and die. Yes, you can. But yes. you've got to have water. Yes. But if you drink too much, you can die. Right. And I'm so, a living proof of too much steak can hurt you. You know, I, I don't know that I believe too much steak. <laughs> that might be the one thing. I'll just be like, nah, you can steak always have ribs, steak. Steak and ribs, man. <laughs> I think it's the... Uh, the sauce that goes on the ribs. That's got to be what That's it is. That's what it is. Too much sugar in that sauce. Just meat. You can't go wrong there. <laughs> really can't. Especially in the world that I live in. Oh, um, yeah. I have a lot of friends that are over 400 pounds. And not for the wrong reasons. Yeah, but they're probably cut up, though. They're trying to be as strong as possible. They're the strongest people on the planet. And that's what this whole thing is. This whole podcast is be good or be good at it. Right. I talk to the strongest and best people in the world. I am very fortunate to know so many of the world's strongest people. Yeah. Um, in many different aspects, from knowing you to Josh to my buddy Bull to mm-hmm. you know Magnus for Magnuson, who I'm going to go see in September, to you know knowing Brian Shaw, um, Eddie Hall, or any of the other you know strongest people on the planet right. who have ever lived, you know meeting Bill Kazmaier and be like, hey man, you want to do my podcast? He's like, how much money you got? And then it's, <laughs> okay, you know, cool, we can sit and we can have a conversation. Right. So that's the whole point of all of this is just putting it out there for everyone. And to get the different opinions. So going back, as I'm trying to loop back around to this, as you see it becoming legal in the state at some point, how much of your work is going to change based on that? Well, it's already changed some because of just the the relaxed laws and the relaxed attitude about it. Fifteen years ago, if somebody had a bag of weed, they were going to jail. Mm -hmm. And then Kentucky changed the arrest laws. What, what is the arrest law now? Okay, well, it depends on the quantity, obviously. If you have enough that you could sell it, then well, you're you going can to have, You could have a pinner and sell that. Well, I mean, but I mean, if it's, if it, it, like if, you're, if it's packaged for sale, mm-hmm. you know, if you have uh, like 10 bags of a gram each, mm-hmm. then okay, obviously you're But selling. if I have a bag of 10 grams, is that different? It is different. Weird. It is. Now, but then I could also check and see, do we have text message records where we got a search warrant and we knew you were selling so you brought 10 grams because you had a, you had it set up. We, we've had so many different situations, but that's the thing now. is There's no more just looking at alright, well, he's got this much, he's got to go to jail for this. It's, we have to be able to support, is this guy trafficking in drugs? Whatever the drug is, whether it's pills, weed, meth, heroin, bath salts, or, you know, whatever. And does each substance have its own subset of law? It does. So with, with marijuana in particular, that's yes. really one that I'm concerned with. Okay. Not that I use it or am a proponent of it, but when it becomes legal, hey, man, it's legal. Right. Great. Awesome. It, a legal thing's a legal thing. Sure. Um, how much weed can a person have on them walking down the street? Well, right now, it's still illegal. Okay. But instead of going to jail, you get a ticket. Okay. Unless you what give us another quantity? reason. The quantity. Okay, so eight ounces of weed is the felony level. Eight ounces. If you have eight ounces of weed, you, you have half a pound, and that's a ton. That's a lot. That's a that's more than fits in that's like a, a backpack. That's a gallon a Ziploc bag crammed completely full, and you still might not hit eight ounces with that. Eight ounces. That's a lot. Then you're going to jail. You're definitely going to jail for that. But if you have seven and a half ounces, then we get into officer discretion. And how, officer discretion is a great tool, man. It really is. We love it comes down to how big of a 
not nice person you are. No. As a... As a what? As an officer or as a, as as the, a criminal? As a perp. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. See, I, I totally believe that you can talk yourself into or out of a set of handcuffs. I feel like more people talk themselves into them than Most out of. Most people do. I have, I have a good personal story about this. I won't say where I was or to disclose their name or that they work for you now. <laughs> um, I may have been speeding one time way back in the day. Four years ago. And uh, it may have been in a national park. And I was speeding excessively. Not really on purpose. I was I didn't have a goal in mind. I wasn't like, oh man, let's see how fast I can go. I'm just riding my bike. And I may or may not have been doing close to double, almost triple the speed limit. Um, which probably should have landed me in jail. However, when I was pulled over, and then, you know, four more park rangers showed up, and... Everybody else that I saw, and I had no idea I was being followed because I couldn't hear anything. I was like, Mike, I'm just riding home. Apparently, they've been following me for like five miles. Oh. Been calling this in. And like, hey, this guy's running. Well, during that time, I had to hit my reserve tank on my bike because I ran out of fuel. So, oh, hit this reserve tank. And I was just going home, just riding home from work. And he pulled me over. And I was like, oh, man. And I was like, wait, that last little bit there. I might have been speeding. Then he told me how long he had been following me. Oh, crap. Reality started to kind of set in real quick that I was probably going to jail. My bike was going to be impounded, and I'm, I mean, I can see my house. It's like, right, I was like, if my bike could just be there, then maybe they don't tow it. Can I push it to the house? <laughs> um, but I was just super respectful. Right. Um, just being myself, being normal. I didn't want to argue with anything. I just answered as honestly as I possibly could, was a nice guy, um, and just asked questions. And if it wasn't my time to speak, I shut up, and it was really simple. And at first, like they thought I was running. Right. Um, I did have to wear a set of handcuffs for the first time in my life, and the last time because I'm not doing that again. All right. Um, but you know, I, I asked simple things like, "Hey, uh, can you unzip my jacket because it's really hot?" While I had handcuffs on. Right. He said, "Okay," and he walked over to me and he unzipped my jacket, and I was like, "Thank you," and that was it. Right. It wasn't. You need to unzip this jacket because it's getting hot over here. My wrists hurt. And I was like, that's not the way to respond. Right. You know, they looked at that situation as, I'm a guy who's running. Why am I running? Right. What else have I done? And so they might have made some calls back to the city um, and said, hey, who's this Dave Waters guy? And there may or may not have been a call back to go, oh, Dave. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's not. I think he just came from here. You know, one of those calls may or may not have come from me. It's possible. It may be. Um, but you know, I was grateful of that because like, wait a minute, how have I dealt with everybody else? And if I had been a dick to every other cop that I'd ever met, that day would have ended a lot differently for me. Mm -hmm. My career path would be different because then I would probably have a felony because good chance that I'd have been a felon because right. there would have been like an assault and a police officer in there and others, all these other tag along things that would have just made my life very hard. Right. And then I wouldn't have a passport. Uh, that I wouldn't be traveling to go to Iceland to, you know, meet up with Maggie or anything else that I'm planning on doing or going to see my son in Italy or anything else. Right. All those opportunities would be taken from me and by my own hand. That's the, the, that's the kicker. That'd be understanding my fault. I did this to myself. Yeah. It's not his fault for reading on the scanner going, what the, this must be broken. Right. Boom, there he goes. It was my fault for being an asshole. Right. And so I was just really nice. And then when he came back to me, and he took the cuffs off. I said, thank you. And when he handed me my tickets, 
There was plural. I said thank you. Right. Um, and then you know I had a court date because there was no pay on the spot, yeah. which I'll tell the Italy story here yeah, in a yeah, second. Yeah. Uh, there was no pay on the spot, so I went to court, and I saw what the ticket was written for. It was not for the speed I was going, and the speed limit was not for the speed limit that I was in. Both of those numbers were much closer together. Right. And I was very thankful. I was like, "Oh man, I'm not going to jail." And when he was leaving, because he had my uh, my utility knife that I kept with me, he had it with him. I approached his vehicle with my hands up, and I said, "Hey man, do you still have my knife?" "Oh yeah, let me give that back to you." He handed it to me, and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand, and to say thank you, because he may or may not have stopped me from killing myself or somebody else. Right. Because traveling at those kind of excessive speeds through a place where deer jump out in the road. And raccoons and possums and turkeys and everything else. And I've hit most of those. Yeah, I know. On the bike. Um, You know, for him to do that, I was like, okay, cool. So now every time I would see him since then, hey man, not speeding through the park. Because I will remember that forever. Yeah. You know, and I do still speed a little bit on the bike. It's, It's way too easy to do 80. I'm sure. It is. I can just look up and go, oh, there's a bird. And I look down. I'm doing 80. Oh, man. Back off the throttle a little bit. Dude, I, got, down. I have a Porsche. I understand. There you go. See? Yeah. It's way too easy to go fast on those. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice. So to my Italy story. Yes. Um, so the way that they look at any immigrant in Italy, as far as you get pulled over, is all of them are the same. So Americans who are there, you know, on a SOFA agreement, status of forces agreement, are just the same as the Romanians that are called gypsies. So you get pulled over there. There's a guy standing on the side of the road, and he has his stick. It's about one meter long, so three feet. Right. And it has a big white end on it with a red dot in the middle. It's reflective. We call it a lollipop. Okay. Because that's what it's called. You get lollipopped. He stands on the side of the road. He's got his little Fiat car sitting there, and this car maybe will do 90 mile an hour. Right. So there's no high-speed chases there. But there's also a second officer standing behind the car with an MP5. Okay. Ready to go. And if you bypass this, they have the authority to shoot at your tires, which may or may not hit you. May or may not hit your tires. Yeah. Yeah. May or may not hit your tires or your whole car or anything else. So if you see a lollipop, which they usually stand in the middle of the road, plenty of time for you to stop, they will stop you. Now, if you are speeding, you receive a ticket. If your paperwork is not correct, you receive a ticket. That ticket must be paid right then. There is no court date for you. There is for Italian pe- uh, people, right? because I found this out after I was married in Italy. Oh, okay. Um, you have to go pay it right then. So you were, it was recommended by my bosses that you keep a couple hundred euro in your car in case you get lollipopped, because you have to pay that <laughs> ticket. Now, the problem was, in your neighborhood, you'd get broken into in your car because they knew that all the Americans had a couple hundred euro right. stashed in their car somewhere for lollipops. So... You get pulled over, and if you don't have the money, they'll say, okay, no problem. We're going to follow you to the ATM. So you better have money in your account when you go to the ATM. Or they'll let you call a friend, and that friend can bring you several hundred euro, which comes out to much more in dollars, right? Yeah, uh, just to be brought to you. So it's recommended that you just keep $1,000 in your account at all times, just in case you maybe get lollipop. Holy jeez. And it's whatever speed they say. Because you don't get to go to court. Right. You don't get to go challenge that. So you're saying that immigrants don't get special treatment in Italy? Uh, no. What? They don't. Do you remember Amanda Knox? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk about double jeopardy for a second. Yeah, yeah. We get, you know, you you get found innocent here. 
you go free. That's it. You're done. OJ is somehow free. Yeah. He's he said, hey, if I were to kill somebody, this is how I would do yeah. it. For the record, you're not found innocent. You're found not guilty. Those are two different things. Right, yeah. right. Everybody who believes that, <laughs> give me a hundred dollars right now. Um, but over there, they go, "Oh, you were you were found innocent." Well, that's cool. We're gonna try again. So the appeals court over there works the opposite from right. what it does here. You go, "Oh, you're found guilty." Well, I'm gonna appeal it to go to a different court. Right. Try to get innocent. They go, "Oh, you're innocent here. We're gonna appeal it to go to a bigger court. We're gonna try to find you guilty. Right. We're gonna just need more time." And you're going to remain locked up while you're doing that. Right. Now, Amanda Knox, luckily, her family had money. And they got her out of there. Yes, yeah. and she can't ever go back. Right. Because they will arrest her again, like on the spot. Right. So, with that situation over there, everybody's like, oh, man, Europe's so much better than here. Uh, no, not really. Yeah. Because they still do the same things that we do. It's just over here, it's a really big deal. Like this whole immigration thing that we've got going on right now. Oh, man, we're separating parents from children. Okay, that's not special to immigrants. What happens when somebody here is arrested and put in jail? They get taken away from their family. They get taken away from their family. And then yeah. if there's nobody there to take care of their family, the, the family gets relocated to foster care right. or something. Social services takes care of that. It's exactly the same thing that American citizens get. Yeah. So why is this a big deal? Do you want us to lock the children up too? With the parents that's, that are that's breaking the law? Yeah. Or do you want to lock up children with, with adults like that, that, are, that they're not related? Are you going to put them all in the same... Facility, yeah. You know, we we separate adults and children in, that are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. There's juvenile hall, and there's you know, yeah. Because jail. I, you know, I don't want somebody's 16 year old daughter who you know got caught with a gun mm-hmm. in jail with a 30 year old dude who got caught raping kids. Exactly. You know, you, there's a reason we separate these people out, mm-hmm. and it's for their own safety. Right. Not because we're trying to tear families apart. It's ridiculous. And obviously, I'm not a federal law enforcement officer. I don't have to deal with that stuff here. But it's just insanity, the, the mindset that the some of the people are using on this whole immigration deal. It just mm-hmm. blows my mind, man. Now, immigration reform needs to definitely happen. No doubt. Um, because as I, you know, did the process myself of getting my wife a green card, you know, I went to Italy. I met my wife. I married her. We lived there for another year. Then we moved to Turkey. We lived there for two years. Then we come to the States. And it still cost me over two grand. And I mean, I was in the military. Right. And I was 10 miles away from the embassy, which was an hour and a half drive in D.C. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I've been to D.C. Um, it was an awful, awful place. We were there by, by the embassy, and it still took us almost three years to get her a green card because they wanted to double, triple, quadruple check us. And it's like, right. look, can we not fast track this somehow? The only reason she got to stay in the States was because I was on military orders. Right. So if it was that hard for us, we being American citizens, we were legitimately married for years. Mm-hmm. We had a son. We would take our child with us to the meetings to meet with the immigration officer. Right. And say, hey, we are wanting to be Americans altogether. She wants to be dual. My son is dual. He got citizenship because he's alive. Why can't she get citizenship because I chose? Right. And still, it took us that long to get a green card. Jeez. And citizenship would have been another four or five year process. Right. In that time, she decided to go back to Italy anyway and forego anything and just eff it. But, you know, immigration is terrible in this country. Right. We need to find a way to fix that. Mm-hmm. Luckily, here in Edmondson County, we don't really deal with that. We really don't. No. Like at all. It's great, actually. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, but as you look at it, does, is that part of the reason why you stay here? And not absolutely go uh, for 
larger things or, or different things? Well, there's it's funny because in the at the sheriff's association that we do once a year, we have these these this big conference and, and everybody gets together. And there's always your border counties that, that border other states, and they complain about oh, we get these people in Tennessee coming up here, and then they run back across the border, and we can't go down there and get them. And then I multiply that times a thousand when I figure you know the guys in Texas, mm-hmm. you know the guys in in uh, you know Arizona that are they're having that that are close to the to the. the United States Mexico border, or you know, on the other side, the northern the northern border with Canada. Um, you know, I, I think Mitch Hedberg had a joke that uh, you know, if you're ever walking along the the U.S. Canada border and you push your buddy into Canada, it's going to take him three weeks to get back because he got to go through customs. You know, it, it's just so. There's there's obviously a lot of problems that can occur for law enforcement guys out there, and then you've got you know these ridiculous sanctuary cities and and you know these whole ideas that are. You know the whole open open borders thing. I think is is a bad idea. I think it's ridiculous and I think it's silly. But for anybody that wants to do an open border, I say one thing to them: huh? go ahead and go home. Take your front door off the hinges. <laughs> that's right. Let me know how that shit works out for yeah, you. Just hang a curtain. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Open border. Let them come in. Well, no, no, no. That's my house. Um, this is our house. This is this is our house. It should be controlled. I'm not saying don't let immigrants in. Right. I'll let people in my house that don't live there. Exactly. And then they have to leave, you know, respectfully after that, but they don't get to stay necessarily. We, and we've even let some people stay with us for a little but while. let people immigrate <laughs> here. That's fine. Right. There's, There's good the people that want to be here. Yeah. But let's make the process a little bit easier. Right. A little bit less uh, costly. Right. Because when you've got somebody from an impoverished nation and they've got to come here and it's going to cost them ten grand to immigrate, they, they don't have that money. And wouldn't that be much more useful to the American public for them to bring whatever they, wealth they do have right. to us and then to work here and, and live here. Because right. not all of them are just here to get welfare. No. That's not what they're here for. I don't think for. most of them are here for that. I don't even think, think 90% of them are. Right. But there's a few that utilize and abuse our system. Right. But we've got Americans that utilize and abuse it. Right. You've probably dealt with many of them. Uh, oh, yeah. Because usually they're on that side of the law. Right. Um, so if we don't fix these problems then we're just going to continue to have more. Yeah. And it's going to escalate. And it's going to become worse. So. Yeah. Totally. All right. So we, we hit this tangent going off on immigration and everything else. Let's get back to marijuana. Yeah. When they do legalize it. Wait, wait, wait. We weren't on that. We were on how much weed can a person carry in officer discretion. Right. That's where we... How much weed could a weed chuck chuck? If we could chuck, yeah. could chuck weed. Yeah. yeah. So... Officer discretion. So, how much weed can a person have on them to get a ticket? Any, I mean, a seed, a seed, a stem, a, a stem a, will get you a what ticket. What we call shake, which is the the little broken up tiny leaf pieces. Yeah, which if it, you if you're on that, then you're already poor right. and can't afford it a ticket. It anyway. can get you a ticket. Can it can get okay. you a ticket? Okay, it has the availability to get you a ticket. Yes, because you are not allowed to possess marijuana in any shape, fashion, or form. Right, according to Kentucky statute, right now. Now, how does that work for CBD oil? CBD oil is not marijuana because it involves THC. But there is THC-infused CBD oil. You can get that, yes. And if you have THC-infused CBD oil, then you are in violation of the statute, my friend. How does law enforcement know? Well, we have marijuana test kits that test specifically for the THC content. Okay, so if you guys get a vial of the oil and somebody says, oh, man, that's my CBD oil, and you test that, then you will know what kind of content of THC it has. It, yeah, and obviously it has to have a certain amount before it will register on the test kit. 
and it's a field test kit, so it's not 100%. So if we get something field test positive for marijuana and we're not sure, and we've, we've seized gummies, you know, edibles, and, you know, different things, uh, oil, hash oil, different things. Basically, if you've got a bunch of gummy bears inside of a Ziploc bag that doesn't say Harboro on it, good chance those are edibles, maybe Maybe you shouldn't be carrying yeah, those around. Exactly, and we're gonna we're gonna do a field test on those guys. Yeah, um, but so, if you're coming out of your grandma's house and you got a a pan full of brownies that look like they came from grandma's house, probably okay. Yeah, and and we would probably eat one if you offered to share. That might be funny. Uh, that, that could that could be, be really, really funny. funny. Yeah, <laughs> that would make for another podcast. Um, but so it kind of it all goes back to officer discretion, man. Mm-hmm. You know, if if we can articulate. That this person was compliant. Okay, first of all, we don't have to charge you. You know, there are, there have been times that we have found people with marijuana, and we'd be like, you know what, we're going to cut you a break this time. Throw it, you know, grind it into the ground with your heel. It's a little bit. We've got bigger problems. You know, just yesterday, one of my officers was dealing with a much bigger issue. Was trying to find somebody who was supposed to be hurt, and in walking through a campsite, saw some kids with some dope. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they try to slowly hide it. And he's like, all right, look, first of all, I'm not worried about your weed that you just, you know, took and, and hid. Get rid of that crap. We're trying to find somebody who's hurt. Do you Have you seen so-and-so? All right. We don't have the resources to deal with everything all the time. So we have to prioritize. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a matter of you got weed, you go to jail. But if this idiot kid had said, uh, well, no, I don't have no weed. If he'd lied about it, all right, now you now you make us, you know, you make us be the bad guys here. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody was cool. So there's times we don't charge. Okay, if we find a bag of weed, or we find rolled up marijuana cigarettes, probably gonna get a ticket. You can decide, based on what the officer wants to, you know, uh, des- describe in their ticket. Does this person have to go to court, and are, there, are we going to go forward with pushing this and make sure you get the maximum, or are you respectful? Are you cool and honest with us, and then maybe we'll recommend that you get a, a deal with the prosecutor, and maybe you get probation this time, and you don't go to jail. Um, and then if we want to articulate why, we can even say, yeah, this guy really only had the amount of weed that normally we would write a ticket for, but based on his criminal history, based on his attitude, Based on the way that his body language was and the way he postured with us, we feel that jail was necessary. So we can arrest you for a seed. And so it, 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 we have a wide discretion with many, many different laws. Marijuana is just one of them. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that we have no discretion on. You know, DUI, I don't care if you're my mother. If you are driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs, you will go to jail no matter what. No ifs, ands, or buts. We have no discretion. Absolutely, and there shouldn't be any. I agree. And I personally think that DUI should have a much more harsh penalty. In Tennessee, man, they've got it going on down there. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, yeah, you double-check me on this, but I think like maybe your second offense DUI, it's like a $10,000 fine and a year in jail minimum. Um, third offense is a felony, and you're going to prison mm-hmm. no matter what. And so, uh, you know, Kentucky, it's a fourth DUI is, and, and the minimum or the maximum penalties are, are still way lower than I think they should be. Yeah, um, I had a uh, an acquaintance of mine who just got his third or fourth one in like six months. Oh my! Yeah, he's he got probably he needs to go to a counselor. Well, the problem with him is is he's got probably twenty people he talks to regularly, and all of us kind of do the same type of occupation. Many yeah. of us have like worked for him before, and we've all told him, "Hey man, I don't care where you are." 
I don't care what you're doing. Right. Call me. And all of us have told him, hey, man, give us a call. We'll come get you. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're in Louisville. I don't care if you're in Indianapolis. Right. You might be sober by the time I get there, <laughs> but I will come get you. And if you need to get your car home, then I'm going to call another friend, and we're going to come together, right. and we're going to get your car home, too. Because there's no excuse ever for DUI. If you have that few friends and that few family that you can't call somebody to get you home after you've been drinking, and I don't care where you're at. Right. If you have that few friends, then your life probably needs to be reevaluated. Oh, no doubt. Completely. And, well, and even if you are, you have no friends, and you, but if you have the money to buy the alcohol, and I don't drink, I never have, but I don't judge people that do. Yeah. Buy it and take it home. Drink it at the house. Yeah. If you want to get hammered, get hammered. Or sleep it off. You can sleep right. in your yeah, car. In your it's car. okay. Yeah, lay down the back well, seat. Well, don't, uh, you know, start it and let it run or anything, <laughs> but, you know, you can sleep in your car. You know, I, I know that being here in Amundsen County, if I were to go somewhere to a house party or whatever else, and I got too intoxicated to get anywhere, there's a lot of people that I could call and go, hey, I'm going to ride. And I know that as a last resort, I could go, Shane, I've had too much to drink, man. I have no way home, and I have nobody else to call. Man, will you come get me? You might bitch at me a little bit. I would. Yeah. I would cuss at you a little, but I would get you home safe. But I'd much rather ride in the front seat of your car than the back. That's exactly right. Because the back is just not a way to go. Oh, I still might make you ride back there, even though. Just for fun? Right. Yeah. But as long as we're not getting a DUI, <laughs> that's, that's exactly then you know what? Right. I'll get home safely, and yeah. that's it. Um, and that's, I, I think people just don't understand that. Yeah. They don't get it. And you'll talk to them, and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, man, I'll definitely call you. And you hear about it next week, and they're on the blotter. Yeah. DUI. Yeah. Well, it means are people that have, they, they can't understand or recognize that they have a problem, and whatever it is. And I'm sure that this is not the only time that he's done anything in excess that's caused him negative consequences in his life. No, it's just the fourth time he got caught. Right. That's right. So he definitely has done it a lot more than that. But so Circling back to the marijuana, we, you know, we had a lot of discretion. And I will say this. Until it is legal... We will continue to enforce that law. We don't have to agree with the laws to enforce them. Right. There are, there are certain laws on the books that I don't agree with. I don't like at all. But you I'm enforce still going to enforce them. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain things we put our efforts more toward. There are, there are times that we, we're going to focus more on this area because we feel like it makes a better impact for our community. But don't put us in a position, you know, I, I like hot rod cars. I, like I told you, I, I've got a Porsche. A Porsche, if you're from... Europe, um, uh, you know, I've, and I love my car. Uh, it, it's got a 450 horsepower twin turbo motor in it, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Before that, I had a couple of Mustangs. I had another Porsche before that. Uh, those things are designed to go fast, and I like to go fast in those in those things. Mm-hmm. I do it in a controlled environment, in a safe environment, in, in an area that I'm not going to hurt anybody or myself, and. I also, so not through Mammoth Cave. Not through Mammoth Cave. Okay. Not a chance. But those roads are so good, though. Oh, I know they're fun. They're, they're fun sweeping and they kind of curve up a little bit. And every curve, just right. oh yeah. man, they're you can but, easily go through Mammoth Cave National Park at 120 and not have to break. I will just take your word for it. I'm just saying you could. You could. Okay. Looking at the roads and the condition they're in, right? You could go through there and not even cross over in the oncoming lane. Well, you could hold your lane. I, okay. Uh, I. Would like to see that someday from another, from an outside perspective. I've always wanted to do like a rally race through the park. That would be fun, but you'll never get the federal government on board. Man, but, but how, anyway, how cool would that be? That though, would be super cool to be just running rally cars through there, and they'd set up the tires and all the other safety things. Yeah. But just shut the park down, which they do 
for fun anyway. Tree falls. That's it. Park <laughs> shut down. Right. But to run through there, and even on like some of their gravel roads or access roads. Oh, man. And just do a full rally race. That would be super cool. Inside of the National Park. I think that'd be the coolest thing ever. And think of the funding they could get by selling tickets. Man, you, should, you need to call. You need to call the park manager. I do love doing Super promotions. Yeah. I'm telling you, promotions are, are my thing. That's what I like to do. <laughs> I do it for Strongman, for powerlifting, for Moss Wrestling, for Grip. And now for rally races through the park. I think it'd be great. Right. I think it really would. If not, then let's do like a downhill mountain bike race. Something in the park. Because they've got really good yeah, but facilities. You, you might hurt like a blind shrimp or something. Oh, Lord. You know, or, oh, or some sort of muscle. Yeah. You some. know, or, or, or some sort of, you know, Appalachian squirrel uh, something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, one time I was driving through there and I hit an owl. And they didn't do nothing for it. They just let it die. Well, uh, and I couldn't like take it anywhere. I couldn't help it. It just had to just lay there and just die. And it, was, it was hobbling around, one broken wing. I was like, if we put that into a dog kennel and we took it to Louisville to that little falconry place, right? They could probably nurse that thing back to health and release it back in the park. They're like, no, nope, you gotta let it die. Dude, that's crazy. Like this sucks. Okay. Like this is terrible. Well, anyway, so but, back to the speeding thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I like to drive fast. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like fast cars. But if you do a burnout out of the minute mark in front of me while I'm getting gas, I'm going to pull you over and write you a ticket. So, just, some, some tickets I think are just stupid tickets. Well, they, I call them the stupid tax. Yeah. You know, it's a tax that you pay to do what you want to do that's not real smart. Yeah. And there are I've actually talked to like very successful people that make good money, and they're like, "Oh, I, I just view speeding tickets as as a speeding tax. I get to do it. I just have to pay the tax sometimes." And yeah, whether you agree with it or not, it's an interesting way to look at it. I don't think that kind of money. I don't I either. Just, that's I why can't. I said I only the wealthy people I know say that. Yeah. Well, that's Everybody the biggest deterrent. Like, Man, this sucks. For me, speeding, the biggest deterrent is money. <laughs> yes. Do I want to spend $300 on this ticket? No. Let me slow down. Yeah. That's it. It's not all. It, it doesn't come safety first. Right. And then your goes, insurance goes up. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really going to cost you like three grand over the next three years. It's all a financial decision, always. Yeah. So that's why I was, I was very thankful I didn't go to jail that day. <laughs> that's right. But yet speeding, it's, it's a weird law. So what are your views on who you pull over for speeding? Well, speeding in particular, um, when I was a patrol guy, so it's different as a sheriff. Because mm-hmm. I, still, I still believe that my deputies should pull people over for speeding. If I have to, I'll pull you over too. Uh, I will say this. If you get pulled over by the sheriff for speeding, you're going to have a bad time. Um, because I've got a lot of things that I need to be doing. And one of the funniest things, that, you've seen the meme of, you know, the South Park meme of you're going to have a bad time. If you, if you do so-and-so, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Um, one of my deputies made that for, for, for me one time. and said, if you get pulled over by the sheriff in a thunderstorm, you're going to have a bad time. Because he actually passed me while I was out with a vehicle in a thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. That I pulled over for a violation, right? So, but for speeding, when I was a patrol guy, and you know, I encourage my deputies to have their own set of rules here. But if you're doing ten over, and it's after ten p.m., probably going to get pulled over. All right, so we have more latitude. So the trooper, you know, they write more tickets than we do, so they may have different you know parameters here. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was if it's after ten p.m. and you're doing ten or more over, you're going to get pulled over less than 10 over and you're not doing anything else dumb then you get a pass if it's daylight or before 10 p.m i might give you 15 over depending on the condition the road you know if it's raining that's different you know but if it's a pretty straight well-maintained roadway not residential or anything you might get 15 over and i might cut you a break 
I might flash the blue lights at you and just say, hey, watch it. Get people to hit their brake lights. Let me know they saw me. Just enough for their butt cheeks to grip the seat. <gasps> yep. You see oh, the blue lights. Da, da, da. Oh, because I've had that done for me. And mm-hmm. I very much appreciate it. So that officer discretion kicks back in again. Now, legally, if you're doing 51 and a 50, you can get a ticket. Now, they take a big jerk to do that. If you're in White House, Tennessee, that's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> or if you're anywhere on the freeway in Virginia, then that's going to happen. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. yeah. My I've, little brother I've, got tagged in. I've been pulled over for 72 and a 70 in Virginia for the dumbest reason in the world. And then I got a ticket for my license plate light not being bright enough. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard of that. Yeah, because it was, it was on. Yeah. And I was like, can I go back there and look at my license plate while you're here? He said, sure. And I reached underneath my bumper and I pulled the light bulb out on the wire. And I said, it is on. There was too much dirt on the uh, the, the lens, which had been slightly painted because I'd right. recently gotten it painted. Right. And they didn't tape that part off well enough. I see. And he couldn't see my license plate enough. <laughs> I was like, really? Wow. Another time I was in Virginia. And it's always Virginia. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, got pulled over during the uh, Virginia Tech, uh, Virginia, or the Virginia Tech and Army game, I think is what it was. Okay. So a lot of people were in town. It was homecoming. It was a big deal right in that town where I was. And I got pulled over for my third brake light being out. I was like, is that even, is that even a thing? And I wasn't driving. My girlfriend at the time was driving. Right. I was in the passenger seat and he came to my side. And I had my hands up and I just kind of kept him in front of me. And I just looked at him and I asked, I said, is that a thing to pull somebody over for? Well, yeah, all your lights aren't working. I was like, some cars don't have a third brake light. Right. That's just like extra. And I'm like, I've passed a lot of cars that have no brake lights. Right. Whatsoever. None. They're stopped. There's no lights on. <laughs> really? He's like, yeah, well, just make sure you get it fixed. And what it really was was we had out-of-state tags. Yeah. And uh, we weren't speeding. We weren't doing anything weird. But we were from out-of-state. And they said, hey. There's a minivan that's dirty because we just driven for eight hours in the rain right. and the muck and it looked dirty. So, okay, we're going to get these ones. I was like, what the? <laughs> so Virginia holds a special place in my heart. I'm sure, yeah. Um, for just getting pulled over for the most erroneous things. Wow. And I don't always get a ticket out of it. Right, Nothing right. Nothing ever happens, but a part of that is me being respectful. Uh, and to some people, it. if they were like, what the hell are you pulling me over for with a third brake light? Oh, really? Well, yeah. let's go ahead and look at all your stuff now right. and see what else you've got going on. And then we can determine that the rest of the way. You're talking yourself into a ticket. Yeah. yeah. And I try to talk myself out of tickets. Right. I don't want to get any. Meanwhile, speaking of that, if you see uh, a little Volkswagen speeding through town, just ignore that. Well, if it's through town, it's a city matter. It's not my problem. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. If you see through the county, <laughs> uh, like especially when I'm going to work or coming home from work, uh-huh. just ignore that. Well, I will tell you this. If yeah. you get pulled over by the sheriff... You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a bad time. Cause, probably because I passed uh, you, and that's why. And yes. not going the opposite way for going the yeah, same direction. No, that's happened, too. Of course, and my, I'm going to go around My, my truck's unmarked, too. So that it gets into the whole entrapment uh, discussion. Yeah, but you can see the antennas and everything and else. And the official plate and yeah. the push bumper. I know, man. How can you not see that truck coming? You're not looking. Yeah, I've seen you at night going the other way. It's like, oh, there's shame. <laughs> there's shame. It's <laughs> time. I mean, but that's that's what we have in Emmonson County. We know everybody. That's so true. that helps. That is true. But officer discretion is a huge thing. And I think some people view that as mistreatment. 
And some people, and here's the thing, man. Some officers they they abuse the discretion. I I, I will totally agree with that. And and you know I do not look at the fact just because somebody has a gun and a badge they're infallible. I don't believe that at all. Uh, I've I've made mistakes, and they're looking back on some of the ways I've handled some calls in my in my past. I very much believe that I could have handled many things better, and that I was uh, kind of a butthole when I didn't have to be. Or, you know, maybe I gave somebody a little too much latitude and shouldn't have. You know, we all make mistakes. But, yeah, uh, and I think I started to get into this at the very first of the, of the podcast here. But you can, when I worked at the Corvette plant, the guy, what he said was, there's the idea of the law and there's the spirit. Or there's the idea of the law and there's the letter of the law. The idea of the spirit of the law. Why is this a law? You know, the speeding laws exist because you can go excessively fast in bad conditions on the road and you can hurt yourself or somebody else. So we have to put a law there. Now, if you're doing 70 on a straight stretch with two emergency lanes and a well-lit highway, full moon, you can see everything, there's nobody else in sight, is that too fast for that road? If it's not raining and there's no traffic, probably not too fast. The speed limit, though, is 55. So... When I meet you, or if I'm parked on the side of the road and I meet you doing 70, or I clock you doing 70 on that road, maybe I won't pull you over because there's really nothing unsafe about what you're doing. But if you're doing 55 and the road is completely packed and there's, there, it's a hailstorm, maybe I do need to check you out and see what's going on with you. Because the spirit of that law, the idea of that law, is for that situation. Mm-hmm. Don't drive unsafe when there's other people that could get hurt or conditions are bad that you could hurt yourself. Uh, and, you know, the example that was given to me by this old retired cop was I police a university and there's one stoplight that everybody likes to don't stop. They don't come to a complete stop before they turn left or turn right. I mean, you know, because you can turn right on a red light, but you're supposed to stop and, and check and make sure there's nothing coming first. And wait, you can't do that from 100 feet away cruising at 25? It's crazy how that works. I can look left. Well, I mean, come on. can't and not supposed to are two different things. <laughs> so, and, and his example was, if it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, class is just let out, people all over the place, and you roll through the stoplight, then you probably need to be pulled over and given a, a, a ticket. If it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you come to a safe, slow speed, you have plenty of time to look and see there's no headlights heading your way, and then you ease through the light before turning. Maybe that's not why that law was written for, for you in that situation. And so I've always tried to apply that, that method of thinking with my policing is, does this violate the idea of this law? If so, you probably need to be arrested or get a ticket or, or at least be stopped and warned. If not, and it violates the letter of the law, yeah, I might be legally allowed to do this. I might be legally allowed to arrest you or write you a ticket for this, but is it really going to accomplish anything? Is it going to make my community safer? Is it going to help you make better decisions when you get on down your life? If not, maybe I don't need to waste my time on you. And so that's that's the way I try to look at it. I try to instill that into the deputies that work for me. When I do an interview with them, I always bring that up, that you will be given the opportunity to make decisions that will impact people's lives forever. Mm-hmm. And you, based on one decision you make, you can you can drastically improve somebody's life or you can drastically reduce the quality of their life based on the way you handle it. Let's always try to go into work with the mentality of, I want to try to make everybody's life better 
That doesn't mean easier. Those can be construed differently. But if if because of the way I handled the situation, their life goes on a better path because I did arrest them or because I cut them a break when I could have and I didn't have to. That's the opportunities that I want my people to look for. And that's what I look for. So if I can make somebody's life better, either by enforcing or by using discretion not. And that's, that's again, that's, that's why you need good, smart people in these roles. You know, human people that know, that understand humanity and understand that, you know, that sometimes we have bad days and sometimes we, you know, we need a little bit of latitude and sometimes we need a little break. I want those kind of people working for me. Not robots that are out here saying, violation of KRS, blah, 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 blah. You are not going to jail. That's ridiculous, man. I don't want those people working for me. And they're here. I mean, they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. They're not in my department, I don't think. Um, but they work different places. And there's cops out there that are jerks that look for reasons to just try to mess with somebody. And I don't associate with those people. And I won't. Now, how much of that do you think is they're just, um, for lack of better words, they're just an asshole? And, you know, you've been in this job for 15 years. You've dealt with the really good parts of, like, the county. But imagine the guys that are, you know, working metro or somewhere else, and they're in the city, and every call they get, they're dealing with some sort of degenerate every single day. Right. For 8, 12, 16 hours a day. They're just dealing with people that hate them, that yell at them, that throw rocks, that have guns, that might be potentially wanting to kill them. Every day, all day, their life is at risk. How much of that changes your perception on humanity? And mm. how does that, you know, affect you? Because I've been asked to be a cop before. Mm -hmm. Earlier in my life, they're like, hey, man, you'd be a good cop. I'm like, no. And why not? Because I don't want to hate people. Yeah. Because I feel that if I had to deal with essentially the scum of the earth all day, every day, then I would start to hate humanity. Sure. So with the guys that are, you know, Knows the grindstone, they're patrolmen, they have been for 20 years. You know, some people don't progress up to an office job where right. they get to deal with different crappy people. Because right. then there's politics. <laughs> right. And then there's other things going on. But how much of that, you know, affects them? Uh, well, it has to affect them. There's no doubt. And, and there's a reason why I choose to work where I work. Because I, I want to work with uh, the population of people that I do. Um, but I also say this, man. Edmondson County, Kentucky has the exact same problems as Los Angeles, California, Chicago, Illinois, Nashville, Tennessee, Tallahassee, Florida. We, we just don't have the same quantity. Right. You know, we, I think proportionately, it may be a little less, but we still deal with murders and, you know, rapists and, you know, uh, the, the, the drug heads that want to hurt us. We still have those people here. But I believe that here in Edmondson County, we have a lot more good people. You know, you got good, you got your bad, and then you got your regular people in the middle that aren't going out of their way to try to help you. I think Evanston County has a higher proportion of really good people, and I love working here. Uh, and so I, I choose not to work in those other places because I don't want to deal with that aspect of it. But there's no way that it can't take a toll on you. And, and I think that's why there's such a high uh, probability of suicide in law enforcement. Because when you are exposed to the worst of humanity on a regular basis. Sometimes people can get hopeless and they don't have some force in their life that keeps them grounded, that, that keeps them trying to look on a bright side. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a consummate optimist all the time, but I try to be that way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I get a, a little bit more. And, and dude, there's been times I've gone home from work and I've 
you know, I've had to have a moment to myself where I've just really broke down because of something horrible that I've had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it doesn't happen often, but they happen. It's just, do you have a healthy outlet? Do you have people that you can talk to? Do you surround yourself and do you fill your life with something that's good? And, and uh, I really want to say this. This, uh, this is a, a theory that I have, and, and it's kind of borrowing off something from Tombstone. I'm talking about old Johnny Ringo. So if you're familiar with that movie, if you're not, you need to watch it, and it'll be one of the best movies you've ever seen. But uh, the, the, the concept of every man, woman, boy, and girl has been born with a great big hole in the middle of it. There's an empty spot in you and in me that has to be filled with something. And you can fill it with a vast array of things. But most common, people, they either choose to fill on the, on the negative side. They use drugs, sex, alcohol, money, stuff, violence. People fill their, that, that void in their lives with those things. And those are all temporary. I would say that some of those things could go into the good portion. But <laughs> anything in excess, Dave. Anything in excess. Oh, in excess. Okay, we're, we're, we're talking a different thing then. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and the the idea is is that the high will wear off, the 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 hangover will set in, the the woman or man will leave you, you know, either voluntarily or, or through death. You know, I mean, if mm-hmm. if you married thirty fifty years, they're they're eventually going to leave. So, uh, the the money will run out, and you'll spend it, and it'll be gone, and you won't be able to make it back. So you haven't seen a lot of hearses with the money trailer behind them? It's crazy how that works, but I have never seen that. You've never seen I don't. And I we don't, do a lot of funeral escorts. I don't think any hearses even have a trailer hitch on them. Most of them don't, know. They probably should get those. The ones that do have anything. been sold and repurposed as Halloween mobiles. Yeah. Uh, I know a gym uh, that uses a hearse as their as their vehicle are you for serious? the gym. Yeah. That's crazy. Because they had it vinyled, and on the side of it says, out with the old body, in with the new. Now, that's pretty clever. Matter of fact, that's this shirt clever. that I'm wearing right here. Uh, for the, uh, that's it. The Kane Classic. Yeah. Um, that is their motto. Oh, it's, that's awesome. it's their gym. That's fun. Um, it's out of Georgia, and it's they're absolutely about out with the old body and with the new, and they have some transformation photos coming out of that gym now, um, that are phenomenal. That's cool. You'll see these people. You'd be like, that's not even the same person. But the folks that run it, uh, right. Jamie and Mary Kane, do an amazing job of taking care of their people. That's super cool. And it's it's really good. I spent a lot of time with them. Yeah. Um, they'll probably be guests on my podcast at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie loves his bourbon as much as I do, which is great. Um, and then Mary's just an amazing trainer. So, yeah. But not to caveat and take away from yours. No, so good. go ahead. So you can fill your life with certain things that are temporary in mm-hmm. nature, and then you will have to revisit that again, and then that will be temporary. And eventually it's a downward spiral. Or you can choose to fill your life with family and with, you know, if, if religion or, or spirituality. You know, it doesn't have to be religion, but, you know, something that is permanent. You know, and the only thing I've ever found in my life that is that is permanent is my relationship with God. And I have a, I have a relationship with God that I cherish. Uh, and I'm not trying to turn your podcast into, into a, a, you know, a sermon at all. But no. that's, that's all I'm going to leave that at. But I've, I have a sense of fulfillment in my life because of what I've chosen to fill that void in my life with. Mm-hmm. And that is a sense of purpose. That is making a difference in my community through posturing myself through my career to be in a policy-making area. You know, when people can complain, and I had this conversation with a friend of mine. He's a prepper. 
down in uh, down in Atlanta. Or just just it's actually in Alabama now. He's moved from Atlanta to, to Alabama. But uh, those people are funny. Oh yeah, they're, they're interesting people. But he he's actually his, his dad's German, like from Germany, German. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think his mom's from like Oklahoma or something. Great dude, great family, wonderful people. But he's uh, he's kind of a conspiracy theorist kind of guy and. And uh, you know he he's worried about EMP strikes and you know having enough food and that kind of stuff. Nothing against those people. That those things could possibly happen. But uh, he was griping about the school systems and you know the government and the county government. And and I I said, what are you doing? What are you doing to make a difference in your community? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you, you're complaining about the schools and, and the government and the church and. Uh, the federal government and commerce and all these you're complaining about all these things and you're watching all these YouTube videos what are you doing to change anything I said well I don't know how I can and I said well this is what my family does I worked in law enforcement so that I could get a career to help people and then I ran for public office and won so now I'm in a policy making area uh, in a policy making position my wife is a school teacher in our local school system. And so she actually influences the children on a daily basis. My brother is the song leader at my church. And he has an active role in the way those services go to make sure that the services are going in a way that would please God and the body of the people that are chosen, choosing to go to church there. Uh, we are involved in various organizations, you know, uh, there, there are family members of mine that are in the Lions Club and in the Masons and in, uh, you know, various other, you know, Eastern Star and other organizations that, you know, Santa's Helping Hands, which is a local organization that raises money for, for Christmas for kids. All of these things that we do to participate to make a difference in our community. If you're going to complain about it and you're not going to posture yourself to be in one of those positions, I don't want to hear you complain. Now, I think I have a right to complain when something don't go the way I want it to go and when something is, is not going a good way in my community because I'm also part of the solution and I'm part of the problem. So if crime is bad in my county, now I'm the guy that has to do something about it. If it's good in my county, I can say, look what we've done as a team that I've got to be a part of. So before you're going to complain about your community and before you're going to uh, gripe about humanity, what are you filling your life with, and what are you doing to change that around you? And if you're not doing anything and you're filling your life with something that's temporary and crappy, then maybe you need to reevaluate what you're doing with your life. So that's kind of what I have to leave you with here. I'm, I'm, I'm about out of ideas as far as how to fix, your, fix the world's problems. But I think me and you together, if they'd let us be in charge of some more stuff, we could probably make a difference. Yeah, I would just get rid of more people. That's, that's my solution. <laughs> Speaking of getting rid of people, you hit on conspiracy theorists. What do you think of this whole storming Area 51 thing? Well, I think, like anything else in the world, there are there's a, there's a funny thing. There's funny ideas. There, you know, I think it started as a joke. And what it, anything that's funny, anything that's uh, that's provocative. It will eventually bring out some people that take it too serious, take it too far. Anything, any joke can be taken too far. Anything can be taken too far. Mm-hmm. So I think it was started by some some really funny, probably a smart guy who thought, you know, this would be hilarious. Wonder how many people I can get to join in on this joke with me. 
I think Rogan has a big part of that. Oh, do you think so? I, okay. I really do think Joe Rogan, because he, he, he tweeted some stuff early in the week. It was like, I think part of this is my fault. <laughs> um, right. Because the whole idea of they can't stop us all right. is really dumb. It, it is. Because I was in the Air Force. I know how security forces is. Right. And that's who they have protecting that, that installation, that right. base. They are just waiting for the moment. They can fill somebody full of lead. A lot of them are. And I have some friends now that, <laughs> you know, are higher ups in the security forces chain, which he'll, Matt will be uh, um, on my podcast later on in the year. Um, and I'm going to get his view on this too, but they're just waiting to fill people up. Well, I saw and if, if you're storming a fence and you've got rocks and sticks, cool, good on you. They got 50 cal automatic machine guns yeah. waiting just to, to mow you down. So I think that there's a, a, um, a way to capitalize on this monetarily. I think we set up some stations about 10 miles off the fence uh-huh. for dry cleaning. We'll get all your blood stains out of your shirts. <laughs> I think if you promise that, get the OxyClean guy out there to oh, start yeah. showing, then we might be able to make some more money because all of them are going to come back blood soaked. Yeah. If they come back at all. If they come back, that's right. There is no way you're going to storm a high security installation right. and be okay with that. And they already know that this is coming. Yeah, that's the thing. They'll amp up and they'll go, hey, uh, whatever we do have, if we do have anything, uh, let's lock it down. Move it. Or move it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or, and then nobody's coming in and you know what, we're going to go ahead and just seize the land that's 40 miles around the base. Right. And we're going to fence that off too. And then we're going to put, they have motion sensors. They have everything out. They have night vision. Everything. Yes. Everything that you get, they have to go check on stuff. And I won't say that this is at Effie Warren or not, Mm -hmm. but I've known people that have been there. But they had to go check for rabbits. Because rabbits would set off motion detectors, right. and they would send a team with Humvees out to this section, and they would kill the rabbit. The rabbit would die <laughs> because it kept setting off motion detectors. Because oh, wow. they won't just turn it off, like, right. oh, well, it's just an alarm. No, they know when you're there. Right. They can see you. There are people actively looking at every inch of that fence line all the time. Thermal. Especially if they have freaking aliens in there. Right. They're going to be Especially. watching everything. Yeah. And those guys aren't going to know what's behind them. They just know what's in front of them. Yeah. Because that's their job. So personally, I think, go ahead and storm it. Let's see what happens. Because yeah. I think it's going to really increase the IQ level of the country. Uh, yes, it collectively And get yes. rid of a lot of stupid. Well, and it's funny because I had this conversation with another officer this morning. This morning we had this conversation. <laughs> this conversation about Area 51? Yes, about Area 51. I love it. And, and what, what we said was, uh, the same thing you said, is that the collective IQ of America will increase if this happens. Mm-hmm. But... This is this this is a sad and scary part. Is let's I think there's 700 people that have RSVP'd to this Facebook event. Uh, or you know, this, is it 700? I really want to look it up. That, and yeah, see. The, there's I think a Facebook event. Yeah, there's there's an event page. Ooh, there's an event page. And, and We're gonna like, look this up. There's like a, over a million that has said they're interested, and like 700,000. This is what my buddy told me. I, I mm-hmm. didn't see this, but this is what he was telling me. 700,000 people said that they're going. Um. Let's uh, say, no, 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 no. What? Uh, 930,000. Okay, so it's gained even more traction since this morning. 1.7 million going or interested. Or interested, okay. And I have friends on this list. Okay, that's awesome. Wow, I need to get rid of these friends. Uh, you might want to call them and just say, hey, that's not a good idea. <laughs> You're done. I was in the Air Force. But anyway, so what we said was, let's say 1% actually do it. That's 7 thousand nine thousand people yeah 
if 9,000 people show up, that feels like a lot of people. Now, it's not when you've got... 9,000 in one group looks like a lot. It looks like a lot of people. And I tell you what, if they all make it across that first set of fencing and they decide that that is a threat and they shoot them, then we're going to have a lot of civil unrest. They're going to say, well, our government is tyrannical. Yeah. No, you stormed a location you you weren't supposed to. You can't do that. If 9,000 people stormed the White House... They're going to, well, there was the the one guy who somehow made it in with a knife, but we won't talk about that. No, <laughs> but that it's easier it. for one guy to get somewhere than nine thousand. Yeah, they're going to see nine thousand coming, right. but they'll do everything that they can right. to do it peacefully and not hurt anyone. Right? They're going to go with mace and smoke right. and water cannons and yeah. everything, rubber bullets and yeah. sandbags, everything else first. But if they continue with this, and it gains a lot of support, people will die. Yeah. And it's sad to think that because of, they think that there's something in there, yeah. which by this time, they've moved everything out of Area 51. No doubt. Because everybody who works Area 51 is like, oh, I know what Area 51 is. The whole idea is to keep it secret right. so that not everyone knows. Yeah. So it's not at Area 51. Kind of like the whole, all the gold is at Fort Knox. Right. <laughs> yeah. It ain't there. They moved that to Colorado like 40 years ago. <laughs> and then they moved it from there to somewhere else. And then from there to somewhere else. Right. We don't keep things in the same places. We don't keep nuclear weapons in the same places we right. we move stuff around like for the amount of times in my air force career that i had to work on nsi related stuff nuclear surety wait we're not supposed to have nukes here why is all of our equipment nuke certified right huh i wonder what's in the bunkers oh well <laughs> and you go home and you come back and right. you do your job because it's not your job to know what's behind you exactly because i don't really give a crap right because my job is to do my job right and if people would just kind of stay in their lane, I think we'd be a lot better. So I really hope that of the 970,000 people or whatever that has RSVP, they're going to this event. Yeah. That there's not a 1% of that population that actually believes they're going to do it. I'm hoping they're all like, yeah, this is hilarious. I want to be one of these people in on this joke. Yeah. Not, you know what? The government needs to tell us what's behind Area 51. And if they won't, I'm going to go take it for myself. Yeah, there's way too many of the things yeah. that we and, could be doing. Yeah. Like if all 1.7 million of these people could donate... I don't know, $100 a piece for homeless veterans? A dollar a piece. A dollar a piece. $1.7 million. Would go a long way to housing veterans. Yeah. It would go a really, yeah. really long way. I'm a veteran. I was almost homeless. I could use $1.7 million yeah. if everybody just did a dollar. Yeah. That'd have been awesome. Of course, it won't go to one person, but build some, some shelters. We have a lot of land out there. That's right. That's not being used. We could put housing there. Yeah. We could house our homeless. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know a lot of them have some mental disorders, and that's they want to live under a bridge. Let's build some under the bridge similar housing. <laughs> let's let's get well, them the, you know, the so care many, they need. There's so much more use of your time, you know, than to to participate in a joke about Area 51. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, and I I like joking around with the best of them, and oh, I yeah. I have just laughed my hind end off at these Area 51 memes because mm-hmm. they are funny. Yeah, you know, the laughs. You know, was it? They can't take us all. Or they can't stop us all. And then the, the dude on the 240 Bravo laughs in 3,000 rounds per minute. Yeah. You know, that, that was hilarious. I saw that one, yeah. I think, last night. Yeah, that's and, great. But I actually did see a screenshot of an actual airman at Area 51 that said to his friends, guys, they've actually got us training on 50 and, and 240 Bravos right now. I've never touched a 50 before in my life. They're taking this serious. Y'all need to stop. Yeah. So They really do need to quit. Yeah. Because it's not going to end well. And there's probably nothing at Area 51. It's been moved. Right. It, there's too much about it. There's the, the Bob Lazar 
uh, documentary that's out now, and he's been out again. He's been telling the story for 30 years, and it's gaining more traction. Whatever it is, the government doesn't want us to know it. They're not going to tell us. It's not going to happen. We still don't know who killed JFK, and those are unclassified documents right. now. We're never going to know. Right. We're never going to know the reason that, you know, uh, Lincoln was shot. Right. Because we're just not going to know these things. Why do we continue to try? Just put your, put your time and effort into something that's worthwhile. Yeah. Go work one extra hour at McDonald's and then donate that money right. to the homeless. Just one extra hour, and then that's it. Get that 10 bucks yeah. and just push it or to Go mow your neighbor's yard. Yeah, you know, go go help yeah. a little lady cross the street, yeah. or tell her not to cross the street and go get her what she needs, take and then some, go give it yeah, to her. Take some clothes that's been hanging in your closet that you've not worn for a year, and go take it to Goodwill. You have a lot of those. I do so many, so many, so many clothes that you have to give it yeah, now. I could actually probably give some of them to you now. <laughs> I'm not that big. Come I'm, on now. Whoa. No, I'm just that small. <laughs> oh, is that what, that's it is? what it is? I mean, for the first time in a long time, I weigh more than you. That's true. So that's true. I'm like right at 300 now. So yeah, but it's all muscle. And beard. Mostly beard. Mostly. Uh, 290 of beard, and then just 10 pounds just trying to hold it up. That's what it is. <laughs> if this was a more perverted cast, it would go way down. We're not going to do that. We'll keep this PC. Um, well, so Shane, I want to I wanna thank you for giving part of your Sunday up, um, which I know this is usually time for, for family and church yeah. and everything else, but you've given me a couple hours here of some great conversation. I want to you know, say I, I thank you for this, and I really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we can have you on again soon. Yeah. Because um, this has been a ton of fun, man. This yeah, really this has been about. a great conversation. I appreciate yeah. you having me on here, man. I've got I've got so many good ideas that I can share with the world. And, and exactly. You've given me a platform. So. That's what I'm here for, man, <laughs> to give everybody a platform to say what they want to say. Whether I agree with them or not, it doesn't matter. Because this whole podcast is about me having great conversations with people. And this is a way to record them. Well, and, you know, I'll say this, this is the last thing I'll say. The fact that you've you've classified me in with all of these other people that you consider to be the strongest uh, in, in whatever they do. That's that's huge to me, man. I really appreciate that. that. I don't take that lightly. Well, that's that's what it's all about, man. You know, I'm very blessed in the people that I know. Yeah. Um, and it's just been years of, you know, trying to not be um, a dick, for lack of better words. Just being, trying to be a nicer person. Yeah. And I, I, I can be um, a little... Um, unapproachable at times um, but it took me a while to warm up to you man yeah it took a long time it took me inviting you to all my strongman shows for you to go and look I'm really never going to come to one of these <laughs> I like you you're a nice guy but I'm not coming <laughs> um, I'm going to keep trying though <laughs> so um, but I just want to you know thank you for all your time yes, and really appreciate you being here alright thanks bud to you by Bull Strong Apparel you can find Bull Strong Apparel at bull-strong.com also, you can hit them up on Instagram, Facebook, at Bullstrong Apparel. And also, you can hit up uh, Chris Bull Griffin at Bull Just Be Fit on Facebook to get all of your apparel needs taken care of. This guy takes all of the money that he makes from these shirts, and it goes right back to his powerlifting team. It's not going in his pocket. He's not trying to get rich. He gives this stuff away to worthy athletes that are up-and-comers in the world. For all of you out there that have ever lifted, you know it's an expensive hobby. It's hard to afford hotel rooms and entry fees and plane tickets and everything else. But Bullstrong Apparel makes that happen for a few athletes. Well, really, several athletes. He does it for everybody that's on his team. And it's 
fantastic what he's able to give back. So get yourself an awesome t-shirt. It's awesome fabric. I'm wearing one right now. And really, there's there's not much better than a shirt that tells you, don't suck. Thank you guys for listening.